Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lost with Friends. As always, I'm your host, Paul, and I'm joined today by what's going to hopefully end up being a whole group of people, but I have some of them here with me currently. Go ahead and introduce yourselves. Hey, everybody. It's Mr. Lostpedia, a.k.a. Jake. Hey there. It's Bill Cava. And this is Steve Peterson. And Steve is a first-time guest making his debut on a season finale, which is really cool. Um, Steve, just got to ask you just a few questions that I ask all first-time guests before we get into the episode proper. Uh, Standard questions of how did you get into Lost, why did you get into Lost, and how did you find out about the Lost Con? Uh, I got into Lost... Um, about 15 episodes in, uh, one of my friends would not stop talking about it. Um, I had no clue anything of what it was, but I had downloaded the first 15 episodes um, while I was away for a weekend. And so I'll give it a shot. And I got home and I could not stop watching. I watched all 15 in one night and was completely addicted um, ever since then. Um, and as for Lost Con, I have no idea. It just, it's, I don't know where it came from. It popped up somewhere, someplace. And I was like, I got to go to this. And it's, it's been a thing since. That seems to be like the I, I love the because I love hearing everybody's different perspectives. So um, sounds like you got in not long after Jake, who was like, I want to say like the fourth or fifth episode in. Is that right, Jake? Yeah, I was very spotty for that first half of season five or season one. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I love hearing the way that people like got into the show. And it sounds that the, that story is actually kind of how a lot of people are there's some people who they were there from the very beginning but then a lot of people that i've talked to they kind of came in kind of like halfway through season one or so once they heard like oh this is like a huge thing so that's always really fun to hear yeah and it wasn't easy to get the episodes back then either i mean oh yeah i had to get them from uh, like a you know one of those download sites where it's a the BitTorrent, whatever Exactly. Yeah. yeah. There was no streaming. There was no on demand back then. It was just mm-hmm. you go online and have to hope someone uploaded it for you. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and side by side, watching those episodes now on your 4K TV and then oh, on your computer yeah. screen. <laughs> and it's so weird because I, I was just talking about this um, for an episode that actually hasn't gone up yet it's going to be after this because i did a few out of order and talking about how certain things within this series itself it's very outdated by now just certain things they just seem so tv versus you know like you watch this and you watch a show like a game of thrones and even though game of thrones is supposed to be kind of i mean i know it's a fantasy world but it's kind of like old timey and stuff but even just the quality of the TV and stuff, it's so weird. So it's it's always amazing to me how even you guys talking about, you know, how to watch the program, the fact that everything has just changed in what's really just a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it really was one of the first network shows to have that that wide landscape shot. You know, it was it's almost it was like predecessor to how HBO does things now with uh, Westworld and Game of Thrones, where it's just epic, epic scenery. And landscape. I remember when I first started watching it, I was watching it on a 14-inch box TV um, in standard definition. And then halfway through season two, uh, we upgraded to um, – I got a, a 32-inch flat screen, and we updated upgraded to the uh, high def on our cable. And it was like a whole new world. And then now watching it, I just rewatched this episode on my 75-inch um, 4K 
and it looks good, but there's some scenes where you can tell it's green screen so bad, which kind of kind of sucks. But oh yeah, the uh, f- the fuel leak on the hel- helicopter. I guess we'll get to that. Yep. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, do we want to just hop right into the episode? Yeah, I'm sure. ready. If you guys are, all right. Do it. We're gonna be doing. There's no place like home, and we're gonna cover all three parts. So this is gonna be kind of long, but I think we all. We're all huge fans enough that we can get through it with uh, little bumps and bruises, I think. (laughs) Uh, So we start out in a flash forward in an airplane, the cockpit. The pilot and co-pilot are flipping switches and doing all that piloty type stuff. One of them pulls out a rabbit's foot and the other comments on how that's actually causing more nerves. But the one with the rabbit's foot mentions how they need it, especially considering the bad mojo of the cargo they're carrying. We then see there's a woman sitting there as well, and she's told by one of them to let someone know that they'll be landing soon, and she gets up and exits the cockpit. Um, so just a note, on, can I interrupt a second? Yeah, absolutely. Just how, I mean, when they opened that scene, and you saw the sky, and you heard the rattling, didn't you think they were playing you again to do a flashback? I felt like we were doing the crash scene again, because it was, the, the way the sky looked, it looked like when Jack looks out the window and then the rattling sound you heard was like the same rattling of the crash. So I had this feeling that it was a flashback. I I agree. Pretty much almost every time we go back to the plane, it, it is some sort of sky shot, the rattling, like they make it very clear you are on a plane now. So I, I, I could definitely see how the mind goes right to that. Oh yeah. Yep. The only thing that would have probably thrown me off with that, because it would it would stand a reason that they may recast because um, what's his name? Um, the guy who played the pilot, Greg Grunberg, isn't there. Um, and I know Liam's going to hate me because I temporarily forgot his name is one of his favorite actors. Um, <laughs> but uh, he wasn't there and it would stand a reason like, OK, maybe they recast the pilot. The only issue with that, though, is they used his picture earlier in the season. Right. You know, but it was I mean? really only only up until they pulled back. It was like I just said the opening scene with the sky and the rattling was like, oh, we're flashbacking, you know? Right, right. Yeah, as soon as we pulled back, you could see it was a cockpit window and you knew it wasn't a flashback. Yeah. Uh, a moment later, the woman heads further back on the plane to tell the Oceanic Six that they will be landing soon. Jack, Hurley, Son, Saeed, Kate, and Aaron who's on Kate's lap, are all there looking somewhat distant. The woman tells them that they'll be landing at an airbase in Honolulu and that their families will be there, but it'll be very private. However, the press has a lot of questions, and Oceanic, the company, wants to make it clear that they don't need to talk to anyone. But Jack says that they will say, they will talk. The woman then asks the rest of them if if it's okay, and I wrote, Jack can never escape his leadership being questioned. (laughs) Uh, but he tells her that they've all agreed and just want to get it over with. And she mentions to them how they're being referred to as the Oceanic Six. Not the greatest name, but it is kind of catchy. And she leaves, but we stay on the six of them. Jack then mentions sticking to their story and how they don't have to answer anything they don't want to. Everyone will just think they're still in shock. And Sun reminds him that they are still in shock. And Jack half jokes that it'll be easy based off of that. A bit later, their plane lands and they step out onto the tarmac from the cargo bay door. Hurley is first, his parents are there, and they greet him. Son's parents are there as well. 
Jack hugs his mother, who I believe up until Tom in the season five finale, Kate's Tom in the season five finale, this is the longest absence of a character at this point in the series. Uh, Last seen in White Rabbit and now here all the way in the season four finale, Jack's mother. Um, Hurley then introduces Saeed to his parents and his mother kisses Saeed on the cheek and Kate has no one except for the baby. And the last thing I wrote about this scene is the music in this scene. That was all I wrote. I agree. Hey, it is listen very to... touching and powerful. Oh, sorry. Go, Bill. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, Geronimo Jack's Beard podcast. Anybody listen to that back in the day? Yes. Uh... They talked about, I think Bethany talked about this scene. And Jack's, the actress playing Jack's mother was kind of open mouth kissing a little bit at times. It was pretty funny. So if you <laughs> look at it, kind of see... Jack kind of like gets a little, you know, taken aback at some point, but um, it's pretty funny. I, I gotta go back and see that. Yeah, yeah, I never, I never, I don't know if I'd ever looked for that. Yeah, no, she mentioned it in, in one of the episodes, so that was funny. I thought the I scene thought... was very, very powerful. Um, I mean, as Paul mentioned, the music is is perfect. It's on point. I don't know. I, I just, I, I, you know, you feel it. Like, um, it's the first time these parents have seen their children in in you know so long and they thought they were dead and I, you said you feel it like i've i've never experienced anything like that i've never had lost somebody for 100 days and then they showed up i never felt that it never happened to me but like i felt this and it was wonderful yeah, even just seeing kate standing there by herself just looking around for someone it just like tears at your heartstrings cuz she's all alone yeah right? Because, as well as Saeed. Yeah. And that's the thing is even even Saeed got introduced to uh, Hurley's, Hurley's parents. parents. Yeah. Like, why did no one like you think Jack would have been like, oh, mom, by the way, this is like the woman I've I've been in love with for the last hundred days. Well, she might have had more of a look of apprehension, I think, maybe with one eye out for somebody with some handcuffs coming towards her. You know, that's yeah. a good point. Yeah, that's yeah. where I was going. Do you think Kate was looking for the law? Yep. Probably. I mean, and that was the thing. And this is kind of the thing that I know a lot of people have questioned about her character is like, why? I mean, yeah, um, uh, Kevin talked about it, I believe, on a previous episode, the fact that no matter what, she's always looking to run. And when you're on an island, it's like there's only a finite number of places you could run. So if there's the opportunity to get off the island, that makes sense. But realistically, her and like Sawyer should have been probably two of the biggest ones to want to stay because it was the law looking for them when they came back. Like there was, I mean, yeah, you know, Jacob argues in season six, like, Oh, you all had nothing back there in the real world. But as we could see these, these, the rest of them at least had families like Kate had nothing but bad stuff basically waiting for her when she came back. Yep. I agree. I also thought it was pretty cool that we landed in Honolulu. Yeah. The one real location they've actually used. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Back at the beach camp at night on island, we pick up from the end of the previous episode with Jack's group discussing who could have dropped the flashing thingamabob, as Rose calls it. Some believe Saeed and Desmond were on the helicopter, while others question if it was them, why they didn't just land there. And Jack decides that clearly the helicopter is being tracked, and whoever dropped it wants to be followed. Sun points out that they should be able to call, seeing as it's a satellite phone, which Faraday confirms. 
they do, but it's almost, it, I, I don't know how to quite say it. I said it was almost like a pocket dial. They hear everything that's happening, but no one in particular is actually answering them. All they hear is Kimi yelling uh, to order the, the helicopter landing. He name drops the orchid, and he orders his team to move. Jack then tells Jul- or asks Juliet what the orchid is, but she says she doesn't know, and she also didn't hear Desmond or Saeed. Jack then turns to Kate, and they go for a walk to discuss what to do next. He's planning on going after them. Uh, she gets the water, he gets the guns, but Juliet reminds him that he just had surgery. They argue a bit about waiting around versus recovering, and ultimately Jack declares that he needs to do this because he promised everyone he would get them off, the, uh, off this island. Juliet gives in, asking him not to die. Elsewhere at the camp, Daniel is searching his notebook when Charlotte finds him and sees he's in a panic. He mentions the orchid as the secondary protocol, and he even has a page in his journal about the orchid, and he tells her that they need to get off the island right now. Why did Daniel know about the secondary protocol? Well, he was on the freight he was on the freighter, right? I mean yeah, but but yeah, but the secondary protocol was under lock and key, like double lock yeah. and key. Yeah, it seems like most of them, because I don't know, I if, I always got the feeling that like that was just Kimi and the captain, and even the captain questioned. I, I believe it was the captain was like, "What is that?" and and Kimi's just like, "Oh, it's the secondary protocol." Right. So why did Daniel know about it? This could lend back to a theory that Liam has said on this show many times about the fact that really all of these things are just leading up to the fact that the uh, Eloise and potentially Charles um, uh, Widmore already know what happened or already know what's going to happen because the journal exists because Eloise has it in the past, blah, 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 the whole time loop thing. But it just seems strange that he would know about it. A bit later, through the jungle... Jack and Kate are tracking where the helicopter must have landed. She wants him to take a break, noticing that he's bleeding, but he tries disputing this. She mentions how he's rare because he looks right in your eyes when he lies to you. They then hear a noise coming towards them, and they get their guns ready. But it's Miles, joined a moment later by Sawyer and baby Aaron. Sawyer mentions that they lost Claire. She walked off in the middle of the night. They looked for her, but uh, she was nowhere to be found. It's confirmed that she didn't go back to the beach either. Sawyer then asks what they're doing out here with the phone, and Jack mentions the helicopter and his hopes that it's Saeed. But Sawyer refutes this, saying that if Saeed is there, he's with the guys who just, quote, blew up half of New Otherton, unquote. And I know us as Losties always, you know, we always say Dharmaville or whatever. I always just loved the term New Otherton. I don't know why. Whenever I'm referring to to the little yellow houses at the YMCA Uh, thing there I always whenever I'm telling people like oh yeah I went there sometimes I'll be like if it's a non-fan I'll say oh yeah you know where the the others live like those little yellow houses but if it's like a relative lost fan I'll be like yeah you know like um uh Dharmaville or New Otherton or something like that yeah I'm team Dharmaville yeah Dharmaville myself as well yeah or I the barracks yeah I guess the barracks is so boring though I like Dharmaville it is it is Um, He then says, just like Locke said, that the freighter people are trying to kill them. Jack sarcastically questions running and hiding, and Sawyer tells about how this always happens. They run through the jungle uh, while having a walkie, and Jack reminds everyone that the helicopter is their only hope right now of getting off the island. Sawyer once again questions why someone would want to do this, and Kate yells at them to stop fighting with each other. 
Jack reminds him that he put Desmond and Saeed on the helicopter to begin with. He has the responsibility, and he has to follow through, even if this means going alone. He then tasks Kate with taking care of the baby before heading off, and Sawyer takes a moment before joining him, yelling that he doesn't get to die alone. Character development (laughs) from a guy who was all about, you know, every man for himself. And, uh, I mean, I know Paul and I, we talked about this uh, early, early episodes, how, like, Sawyer is the anti-hero. Like, we use that term a lot with Sawyer. And, I mean, this is him. Like, you know, he did have an opportunity just to leave, but he decides, nope, you know, Jack's not doing this alone. You know, referencing back to that speech from very early on in season one that they all need to work together. And uh, that's character development for Sawyer, for sure. I don't understand, though. I'm fully on board with what you just said. I just don't understand why Jack would want Kate to come along, then basically say, I'm going to go go about it alone and task her with... I understand he wants her to be safe. But why ask her to come at all if he's just going to momentarily, like a moment later, just say, oh, here, take the baby and go somewhere safe? Uh, He didn't realize, I think, how dangerous this was until Sawyer mentioned it and then was like, "Mm, you know what? You know, Kate maybe shouldn't come along with this. Okay. In a flash forward, we see the press conference of the Oceanic Six. We get the rundown of a lot of their fictional history. Uh, it goes that they crashed in the water. They're, they were carried to an uninhabited island called Mambata. On day 103, a fishing boat washed ashore, and they used what they found to make their way off the island on day 108. They traveled to Sumba, where their picture was taken. They were then transferred to Honolulu, and here they are. They've been through a lot and have agreed to a few questions. The first question is for Jack, asking how they survived the initial crash. He hesitates, but eventually says it all happened fast, and he had to escape the plane, which was filling with water. They had cushions and were in the water for over a day, and there were eight of them. Now, this next bit that I'm going to say, from my understanding, is like just from the DVD things, not in the original airing. Uh, it's in the enhanced version as well. I don't know if it's on, if anybody's like watching this on like Hulu or anything else like that. I don't know if this is included, but I'm going to include it because it was on my DVD. Uh, They're asked what happened to the other three. Boone, Libby, and Charlie are given as the three. It's said that Boone had internal injuries, Libby didn't make it through the first week, and Charlie drowned not long before they were able to leave. I rewatched the episode today on Hulu just because I didn't feel like digging out my DVDs, and those parts are definitely not on the Hulu version. I concur. Okay, interesting. Because I remember... I want to say, because this was the obviously the very last thing that I watched, because uh, anybody, I, I say it all the time, but I got in right at the beginning of season, well, right before season five. I watched these first four seasons several times before season five, and I remember seeing these on ABC's website, because that's where I used to watch them from. But then I remember going through and seeing things like on Lostpedia and Wikipedia that some of these scenes weren't included. So to me, that's always been there. But it's really interesting when it's like, oh, no, that's... And even on Hulu now, which I know when the show was on Netflix, they cut out stuff from the series finale. But it's weird that they would still continue to cut out things that are kind of relevant, I guess. I think At this I, point, I don't even know why you would show a non-enhanced version. Like just Exactly, yeah. Yeah, you're not cutting for commercial time or anything. So you can just put, as long as it is, put it out there. Yeah, yep. exactly. Um... 
A reporter then asks about how they all look pretty healthy for being stranded over 100 days, and Hurley half-jokingly takes this as an insult. And I knew that Jake had to say something about that line. <laughs> yep, uh, I do, and I, I've noted it. Actually, there's a, a few of these kind of uh, Hurley side swipes throughout the finales. <laughs> For anybody who doesn't remember, uh, Jake and I have this, uh, well, mostly Jake, but it's it's the two of us have kind of this ongoing thing about the fact that they're constantly fat-shaming Jorge Garcia on this show. And it's such a shame because, like, what, how does it, how, what is it, Jake? Like you said, like he knows he's a bigger guy. Like they don't have to throw it in his face all the time. <laughs> they do. And then I get, we give major props to Jorge because, uh, again, he knows that he's a bigger guy. I don't, yeah, he doesn't want to be constantly reminded, but he, you know, puts a smile on his face and shows up to work the next day to, to, to you know, read a script and see another, you know, fat shaming joke. <laughs> Uh, someone then points out that Hurley was worth over $150 million before the crash. How does he feel now? And he says the money was bad luck and he doesn't want any of it. A Korean reporter then asks uh, Sun if her husband was someone who died on the island and she hesitates a moment before saying no. Someone else then asks Saeed about returning to Iraq, but he mentions how there's nothing for him there. And Jack is also asked about his plans. He mentions how his father died, he was bringing him back, and even though there's no body, he still wants to put him to rest. Kate is asked about giving birth, and she says it was scary, and that Aaron is a little over five weeks old. And someone tries doing the math that she would have been about six months pregnant when arrested for murder, but the Oceanic rep quickly mentions how this topic is off the table. Saeed is asked the final question we hear, which is if it's possible that anyone else could be found, and he responds, absolutely not. Um, I remember again, because I, knowing that this was like kind of the final thing, this was like the, one of the episodes that intrigued me most, actually this kind of three part one and cabin fever. Cause I was like, okay, this is, you know, it's all going to come down to this. And even though by this point now we, we know their story, we know kind of what happens with them in certain flashbacks, uh, or flash forwards, I should say, I was still, even by the end of this episode, I was super intrigued as to what happened to everyone else. Because until season five, we have no idea about Sawyer, Juliet. And up until this point, I was still just like so fascinated because I was like, they're not really going to kill everybody else. And the show isn't just going to focus on these people, right? <laughs> right. And do we really know why they were lying? I mean, I don't think I because you know I'm handicapped a little bit because I'm going way back but I'm trying to remember did I know why they had to lie probably not the, yet right? not until the end of the third part right is when exactly. they finally discuss why they have to lie um that's mm-hmm. when Locke is talking to Jack at the orchid yeah yeah and then my other favorite part about it is we know who the oceanic six are but as the episode goes everyone's in their own separate spot so it's this whole puzzle of who's going to end up where and how do they get back to the ship and what's going to get them off the island because like even towards the end Sawyer's there and you're like but he's not off the island so right. yes that was one of my favorite things about the finale is trying to to get ahead and be like well wait, how does this you know how is this going to to play out like exactly mm-hmm. Sawyer's there and then uh I mean we'll discuss it obviously but even like Desmond and Frank you know I'm like but we know we haven't seen them off island or anything so yeah that was one of the me uh, more exciting parts of, of this entire finale for me mm-hmm and this is one of those things I believe I've talked about roughly every 
premiere and finale, the fact that um, I remember, I think it was for like the season when I was, when I was going back and like reading things about the show. Um, I think it was like the season two premiere or something like that. They, um, they talked about the fact uh, Damon and Carlton talked about the fact that kind of their goal every year was at the, you know, kind of midway through the season, they would break everybody up into these like separate little groups. And then by the end of the season, they, some of them would come back together. Some of them would swap places. Like you guys were just saying, and then some of them would still go off on separate missions. Like the end of season one, you have uh, Saeed looking for, um, you know, for that black, the, the thing of black smoke for the baby. Um, you know, there's the the raft. There's uh, the people going towards the hatch. There's the people that stayed at the caves. There's like all these separate groups. And then the next few episodes of like the season premiere was how do we kind of bring all those people back together just to split them up again and it was just kind of almost like an accordion you know it's going in and out and in and out mm-hmm. and so it's that like you guys said that was kind of interesting because with it being a flash forward we knew where certain people had to end up so it was this really interesting thing of how are they going to manipulate all of this that you know we like there there's seemingly by this point in you know a, a first time watcher's mind there's no way that all of these people are going to get back together but you know that they're going to have to pull it out eventually mm-hmm. a bit later after the press conference jack is telling kate she did good while the oceanic rep tells saeed that someone is waiting for him her name is nor abed jasim he goes outside to see nadia and they're finally reunited and share a kiss this is one of those weird things, and we see it later um, with Desmond and Penny. It's a it's an amazing thing, I think, based on the writers and the actors and directors, everybody's way of doing it, where these characters, in theory, like the actors aren't really separated. And this kind of goes along with, with the thing that I just said about, you know, all the characters being in different places and whatever. They're not really separated. But yet later on, when we see Hurley and Jack reunite uh, at the Orchid, like they have this this moment where it's like, oh, wow, it's been so long since they've seen each other. But we know just a few episodes ago, those two actors interacted in a flash forward. So it's not that we haven't really seen them together in quite a while. You know, I felt so differently about this scene after spoiler alert, seeing the season six finale. So, I mean, when. For them to get back together, it was the first time I watched it. I was like, oh, this is beautiful. This is, you know, they're meant to be together. And now, you know, watching it on rewatches, I'm like, all right. You know? Well, I'm curious what you guys, do. You, who do you think Saeed should have been with? I know he ends up with Shannon, oh. but I'm curious as to uh, your opinions on should it have been Nadia or should it have been should Shannon? Have been Na- it should have been Nadia. And this scene, I think it should have been Shannon. For me. Yeah. Oh, see, say it again. Shannon. Yeah. Oh. I'm, a, I'm a Shannon vote, yeah. To me, Nadia was just like, oh, that's the girl I knew, and she's just always been there. But with Shannon, it was someone that he grew with and learned to change, and she and he changed her. And just overall, it was a more of a, a, a deeper connection, whereas Nadia just always seemed like, uh, it's the girl I knew when I was a kid, and we're supposed to be together. Oh, this is so, a safe bet? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a good perspective of it. Yeah, I could see that. But, I mean, he carried a picture all, all the way, and it was, I don't know. And with I'm not I'm not saying one way or the other, but with Shannon, it was I mean, with Nadia, he kind of built her up in his head 
I think. And mm-hmm. with Shannon, very similarly, because they didn't get to spend that much time with each other. But the Shannon thing was only on island time. It was only, what, like just a few weeks that they were spending any time together like when you know from from when she started helping him translate the papers until when she died that wasn't couldn't have been more than just a few weeks right so i mean i don't know i've never been in love so i can't say one way or the other can you develop that much of a thing with someone to the point where that's the person you're going to find in the afterlife in that short amount of time it's possible yeah Okay. I guess. Mm-hmm. And that's 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 my only thing is like, you know, and I'm 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 in agreement with with both sides. You know what I mean? Like I could see how some people say it should have been Nadia because theirs was because one could make a similar argument. Now Desmond never found anybody else, but he was kind of looking for Penny almost as much as Said was looking for Nadia. So one could make that comparison and the fact that, you know, Desmond and Penny ended up together versus Saeed and Nadia but then I could also see like Steve said Shannon is the one that helped him or was at least with him when he you know went through this this change like they all kind of went through on the island it wasn't there something written on back of the picture Nadia's picture I, I can't recall right now but uh, uh, you will find me in this life if not the next I think. yeah there you go which but would he, have been a great tie into the, you know, season six finale, but Oh, very true. But he did find her, and it was still a matter in the writer's perspective that it wasn't supposed to be her. Because he had his yeah. he had his happy time kinda with her. Mm-hmm. Even even if it was like to kind of set her up to not be, you know, his. Back on the island, Saeed arrives in the Zodiac. He's greeted by Sun and Juliet, who ask him about Desmond, but he confirms Desmond is on the boat, and they have a little time. They need to get everyone off the island before the helicopter gets back, because the plan is to kill everyone. Juliet tells them, or tells him, how Jack and Kate just went after it. Elsewhere on the island, Ben is leading Hurley and Locke to the Orchid. Ben mentions that it's a greenhouse, and Hurley is questioning everything, but Ben says, or he's questioning everything Ben says, and Ben eventually tells him uh, that it's to move the island. The reason he hasn't done it before is because it's very dangerous and unpredictable. It's a last resort. He then looks and finds a hidden box under some rocks and things, but Locke wants to open it, still not trusting Ben. Inside is a package of crackers and a mirror, which Ben asks for. Hurley gets the crackers and starts eating them. Of course he does. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> uh, and Ben tells him that they're 15 years old. Ben then takes the mirror and angles it several times in what appears to be Morse code, saying he's communicating, seemingly with the others, and he gets a reply. When Locke asks what was said, uh, as Ben wants to leave, Ben tells him that it isn't his business. Uh, now, at one point, it's said, like, who are you talking to or whatever? And he says, who do you think? I always thought it was Richard in particular. Agreed. Yeah. yeah, yeah I think he was filling in Richard on, on what was happening. And that's how Richard kind of knew to uh, do his, what he does, you know, what he ends up doing. Yep. Or, or the group, the others, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I believe, yeah. um, I believe, and Jake, you would know better than me, but I believe, uh, lost says something about the fact that the Morse code says something about the word seize or something like that. Yeah, uh, interpreted Morse code translate to seize. Uh, 
you know, and then it does admit that there may have been some other letters while Locke is raising his binoculars. So we as the viewers don't get to see the entire message. Right. Now, uh, Wayne actually had some interesting thoughts. So in the edit, I'm going to insert that now. So I think the Dharma Initiative left all these little supply boxes in various hidden spots all over the island uh, just for emergencies. And of course, Ben was in the Dharma Initiative up until the purge. And so he knew where all these little boxes were. In fact, uh, it's possible maybe you know he and, and his father, Roger, were responsible for actually putting the boxes in all these various hidden spots. And so that's, that's how Ben knew where, you know, that he had stumbled upon one and he knew what was in the box, that the box contained something that he could use to communicate with the others. So I, I'm guessing Ben purposely had one of his people like standing watch up on that ridge, just waiting for Ben to give some kind of signal. And so Ben basically took that opportunity to communicate that, you know, his plan was basically to go to the orchid and that he's going to need the others to get rid of Kimi and his people. Now, as for the crackers, uh, the island's healing properties uh, coming from the heart of the island were the thing that was keeping those crackers tasting fresh after being buried for 15 years. So that's all I got on that. Uh, back at the beach, it's talked about offering to shuttle people off the island, and Saeed wants to go after Jack and Kate. Uh, Faraday says that he will get the first group going. Juliet says Sun should be in this first group because she's pregnant. Kate then shows up, and she questions Saeed being there, and he mentions how he's going after Jack. She says Sawyer is with him now. They have a phone, and she can track them, and he agrees. Kate gives Sun the baby, and when Sun asks where Claire is, Kate basically ignores her, and she and Saeed then run off. Faraday then tries to make sure everyone is there before getting uh, the boat into the water as they're going to set off, and Jin looks at Sun, telling her that he told her he would get her off the island. In a flash forward, Sun is walking the stairs to her father's office at Paik Industries. He's yelling at some men and kicks them out just as Sun is getting there. She tries asking about the company, and he asks about the baby, and she tells him to not pretend to be interested because he hated Jin. He starts to get angry that she's speaking to him this way. He demands respect, and she tells him that with her large settlement, she bought a controlling interest in the company, and now he will respect her. She says that he ruined Jin's life. Two people are responsible for his death, and he is one of them. He's in shock. Uh, she says that she's going to have the baby, then discuss plans for the future of the company, their company. I don't know. How much was that company worth? I mean, you would think it'd be worth a lot of money. Way more than in a, a settlement. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's just a controlling interest. So, because I know, I mean, I know getting like business or whatever, I understand the point. But like for some people, a controlling and for some companies, a controlling interest could be like 15% only. You know, because yeah. everybody else yeah, has sure. like separate right. things. Um, but still, they had to have had a lot. They had to have gotten a lot of money. They gave them that golden pass, which I understand doesn't necessarily cost money, but they got a buttload. Of, wouldn't you, you know, offer up a buttload of money if people like got uh, uh, in a plane crash on your airline? Yeah, you figure ten million, right? Mm. Twenty million. Depends on the airline, I guess. Yeah, 
Yeah. My <laughs> spirit's not dishing out that much. <laughs> no. Uh... <laughs> there goes that sponsorship, Jake. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you didn't want them. Well, taste, tasty cake money will take us very far, Paul. <laughs> Um, now, okay, speaking of the, like, just kind of their cover story and, and Oceanic or whatever, was it ever said, because I, I don't remember, so in the beginning of the of season four, we see shots of the plane underwater, and it's, I think it's mentioned that all the passengers were found. Correct. Right. Yep. Did no one question why these eight then <laughs> cut down to six, supposedly they're bodies were found but yet they're there in person supposed to be yeah i the thought had crossed my mind uh once or twice okay just as long as i'm not the only one no yeah, no um still in a flash forward hurley drives up to his house he can't see or hear anything and he starts to get scared he calls for his parents and the trons he even hears whispering. He sees a coconut on the floor and picks up the golden Jesus statue to use as a weapon. And he even questions himself on why he's still moving forward. But outside, he discovers that it's a surprise island-themed birthday party. His mother then asks him what he's doing with a statue and that Jesus is not a weapon. However, I think anyone religiously would disagree that Jesus is the ultimate weapon. (laughs) (laughs) Um, a bit later, people are talking to him and having a good time. He sees Kate and Aaron, and she says that Jack is running a bit late. Uh, Nadia and Saeed are there, and I don't have it in my notes, but I believe I read on Lostpedia, which I don't know if I've ever actually noticed. Um, Saeed has a wedding ring, indicating that they've gotten married by this Mm. point. Um... Saeed mentions the theme and Hurley jokes that his parents just don't understand the trauma. <laughs> and his father then comes to him and jokes about hunting boar, building fires, and he notices that this makes them all very uncomfortable and he wants to take Hurley to show him his present. In the garage, it's a Camaro. He says that he's fixed it as a memorial to Hurley uh, after the crash. Hurley gets in and sees the numbers in the odometer and all those things and freaks out that it's all the numbers, 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42, and he thinks it's a cruel joke, but David says that it's just a coincidence. Hurley doesn't believe it and wants it gone, and his father yells after him. He um, just runs. Like, he just, <laughs> like, where, I put in my notes, where are you going, bud? Like, like when, when does he stop and go, uh, I got to go home? Like, <laughs> how far? Was it five minutes, five hours? I don't know. Like, he just runs. <laughs> <laughs> now one of the things and and one of the reasons that i worded it the way that i did said where he says that he fixed it up now obviously you know work i don't work on cars i, I know little to nothing about cars so one of you manlier men please uh correct me not you jake um <laughs> <laughs> you know, I would I wouldn't even be insulted, but we are on the yeah. same level of car knowledge. Yeah, that's that, not even like, you, Bill. I got nothing. <laughs> yeah. Um Yeah, no. Don't ask me. Well, okay, hey, don't so, windshield wiper fluid then. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this is the least manliest podcast ever. Uh well basically it was the fact that there were certain things on the dash of that car that are on newer Camaros versus the original Camaro that we've seen that we saw in that Hurley 
uh, flashback episodes. So it was questioned that maybe he just included new stuff or was it he just bought a completely new Camaro and just told Hurley that he fixed it up because his father's a liar. And it's also the question, do we think that he purposely set those numbers up because we know that his father likes to mess with him because he did that when hiring that psychic woman just to kind of mess with him. So would he do that again just to like try to get his son to not be such a scaredy cat? Or do we think it was one all uh, coincidence? And two, do we think potentially he just bought a new one and lied to him about it? So I, as much as a liar he is, I and I, I don't know if it was a coincidence about the numbers or anything, but I don't think he bought a new car. You know, he gives this kind of, uh, you know, like little speech or whatever that like when he was working on it, it felt like he was, you know, working on it with Hurley. And as a parent, you know, I mean, you lose your child for about 100 days. You, you think he's dead in a plane crash. You know, you do get sad and you I know a lot of people that do things like this. They take on projects that they would have done with their uh, person that they've lost. And I, I like to think that that David is, is human enough that he would feel those emotions and that, you know, this Camaro has been hyped up as something that meant a lot to the both of them, that he would work on it. And those parts were probably aftermarket um, that he replaced. Uh, coincidence or about the numbers? I don't know, but... So I would say it's not a coincidence. I mean, it is a coincidence just because if he knows how Hurley is and that the numbers would scare him away and he wants the money, why would he try to scare him away? So I would say that's just kind of, you know, the Jacob resonating through the world type of thing. Oh, yeah, the numbers are always coincidence. I mean, even, you know, the airport, the, the soccer team with the numbers on, you know, yeah. nobody's, nobody's placing them there. So I think the numbers are always a coincidence. And I think the, as far as the car, I mean, that was a bonding thing for the two of them. Back when he was younger, mm-hmm. so so it makes sense that you know it, he would try to bond with him again in the same fashion. Okay. Okay. And the flux capacitator was a dead giveaway that it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Back on the island, Hurley, Ben, and Locke are still going. Hurley is still asking questions. He asks about the guys with guns moving the uh moving with the island and Ben confirms this will probably happen and that he's working on it. Hurley then says he still wants to get off the island, but Ben tells him that it's too late for that. He asks for the binoculars and tells them to get lower. They're at the orchid, but they need to wait. Widmore knows of the orchid as well and what it does. And Locke asks how Widmore knows uh, about the island seeing as Ben or about the orchid seeing as Ben said otherwise. Ben mentions not being entirely truthful, and Locke asks if he ever is. Fantastic line. But Ben shows him what he's seeing, which is a man patrolling the station. They are already at the Orchid. With the Zodiac, it's arriving at the freighter. Faraday yells to Desmond, who helps get the people off while questioning where Saeed is. Daniel tries telling him, uh, little information while quickly saying that he's heading back for the next group. Still on the boat, Michael shows up saying that the engine is fixed and Sun and Jin see him and are shocked. Desmond has gone to tell someone that the engine is fixed. They get it started and they begin moving closer to the island, but they have to stay on the bearing of 305. It's then announced that there's some sort of interference. They can't see the reef. Desmond questions this because the radio 
uh, room is down. But it's said by the man that something is broadcasting, and if they can't see the reef, he can't get much closer than five miles, and Desmond volunteers to find it. Did anyone make the connection between, I know we didn't, it wasn't announced the dead man's trigger, but did anyone make the connection between the dead man's trigger um, on, what's his name, on Kimi versus uh, this potential interference? I don't, I mean, it was 10 years ago. It's hard to remember my original thoughts, but I don't think so. No. Okay. Back in the jungle with Sawyer and Jack, they discuss Jack's surgery They make it to the helicopter, and they hear a noise and discover that it's Frank, and he's been handcuffed. He confirms that he dropped the phone so someone would come and find him, and he could fly them out of there, and he asks for the toolbox. Jack asks about Desmond and Saeed, and Frank says they were smart enough to stay on the boat because Kimi and his his cohorts are too dangerous. He tells them that they went to a greenhouse waiting for Ben. Frank then says that as soon as he's free, he's taking them off the island, but Ben questions if they'll harm anyone who's with Ben before turning to Jack and telling him that Hurley is with Ben. Jack then quotes Sawyer by saying, son of a bitch. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. That was pretty funny. In a flash forward, Jack is giving a eulogy for his father. He doesn't quite know what to say before eventually concluding that even though he won't be able to bury his father, everything he needs to say isn't for Jack, it's for Christian. He then says goodbye, he loves him, and misses him. A bit later, as everyone is leaving, Jack and Margot are thanking everyone for coming. Margot goes to leave, and they exchange goodbyes. Kate is there and comforts Jack before a woman approaches. She's Australian, says how she knew Christian, and she was the reason that he was in Australia. He came to see his daughter. Jack is confused, and she goes on to tell him that he can look into it, but Jack has a sister, and she was on the plane too. He didn't even realize he could have been sat right next to her, and she mentions that her daughter's name is Claire. She apologizes for the burden, but he needed to know. And as she goes to leave, Aaron fusses, and the woman tells Kate that she has a beautiful son. Kate awkwardly thanks her, and she and Jack look at each other in shock. That uh, revelation hits Jack hard. You can mm-hmm. see it. Like Matthew Fox does a fantastic like reaction, and uh, man, you feel that. Do you know that reaction? Just if you play side by side when he has his hand on the coffin at the end of the series, he has the same exact pullback, like shake your head, bat your eyes, the same exact Mm -hmm. reaction. Amazing. Uh Huh. The only thing I question about this scene is in the previous episode where we learned this about Claire. Her mother was supposed to be in a coma that she would basically never wake up from to the point where Christian... Maybe out of guilt, but maybe just because he's a doctor, was like, yeah, basically we should euthanize her because she's not there anymore and there's, you know, little to no chance that she's waking up. Now suddenly she's there, played by a different actress in Los Angeles, telling Jack all this stuff that is, like you guys said, a huge revelation. Yeah, that kind of always bugged me. Um same thing in uh, part avion where she's like oh i watched these nature documentaries with my mom then we found out that she just watched them while her mom was in a coma uh just a lot of that is kind of a little bit sloppy writing i think 
yeah, they hadn't fully thought that out when they uh, <laughs> when they first said, you know, like, yeah, like you said, the line about watching the nature doc, uh, documentaries. And then all of a sudden they realized, oh, wait a minute. How do we uh, you know, how, how do we make it so that she's doing both watching the documentaries and it's with her mom? And then we have this whole coma thing going on. You're right. Sloppy writing. And even in season five, um, when they think that she's trying to get Aaron back um, and Jack confronts her, she's like, oh, I'm just here to get a check from from Oceanic. They, they couldn't mail you a check in Australia. You had to fly to, to L.A. to pick up a check. <laughs> just like, why are you here? It, it was just convenient writing on that part, too. Yeah. Um, there was something I was going to say. Oh, yeah. The fact that she also says, and I understand, you know, it was the time, the whatever. Why is her immediate thing... Oh, you you know, yes, he has a daughter. Check his phone records. I thought the same thing when I was watching it today. And I was like, what's that going to prove anything? Yes, thank exactly. you. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I guess he probably made some – an Australian number would show up, but that wouldn't even be that weird because he was in Australia. Yeah. He might make a few phone calls that are Australian-related. So you're right. It is a tough uh, – Tough stretch to, to connect the dots using a phone record. Unless they're talking about text messages, maybe. Who knows? But Again, it just seemed kind of, like you said, you know, convenient writing, basically. Yeah. Just like, uh, oh, check his phone records. Yeah, sure. That's, they'll believe that. <laughs> <laughs> Back on the freighter. Sun and Jin are asking Michael about his journey. He gives them some highlights, including taking Ben's boat, selling the boat, getting a ferry ride, and that they couldn't tell anyone who they are. He also says angrily that he's not working for Ben. He's trying to atone. He wants her to translate to Jin, but Jin responds in English that he understands. Desmond then approaches Michael and yells, or then approaches and yells for Michael in a panic. He leads them all to a room packed with C4 explosive. And they're in shock. Dun, dun, dun. That's quite a pile of C4. Yeah. Yeah, right? They clearly, like, you know, somebody wanted that blown up for sure. <laughs> Load up real good. Yep. Back on the island, Kate and Saeed are in the jungle, and she notices footprints and how they don't belong to Jack or Sawyer, whoever, and whoever it is is doubling back. Saeed then demands they come out, and Richard emerges from the jungle. They have guns pointed at him, and he asks them to relax and to put the guns down. After this back and forth, many others appear, and Richard once again tells them to drop their guns. I love this scene. Um, I'm a huge Richard fan up until Abiterno, and he had I think he had been absent since like the season three finale by this point. I think all the most of the others had other than um, like in the present timeline, I mean other than um, Harper, I want to say. I don't think we'd really seen the others, like, this whole season. Like, in Correct, the, yeah. In, in the yeah, present time, like, on-island present timeline. Yep. So, of course, I'm always going to love that. Do you guys think that the others wanted Kate and Saeed to know they were there? Because we know that the others are very good at covering tracks, yet Kate is very, she can clearly see these are other tracks because they're not Sawyer, they're not Jack, and then they're, they're you know doubling back. So do you do you think they wanted to be noticed, or like it was just again they were being a little sloppy or something? Or no, I think they wanted to be noticed. There was the whole plan to trade. Was it trade uh, them for for Ben, 
or whatever it was they mentioned later on in the episode. So I think it was just part of their their setup. Gotcha. Yeah, I would agree. I know I'm because like we said before, one of the the messages that Ben said was allegedly seize something something. So I think it was just not that they knew that, but I think it was um, just because they wanted to be known. Because then they could e- they could have even explained that and made it a little easier, you know, that, you know, like kind of like, yeah, we are, you know, we know we've been at, at war for such a long time, but clearly now we have this common enemy and the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Mm-hmm. At the Orchid, Locke mentions not seeing Kimi specifically, but Ben knows he's there and starts to go alone. He tells John to go to the greenhouse and tries to explain the steps to get to the actual Orchid station. Locke is confused, and Ben says he's going to take care of the men outside so that Locke can do this. He then confirms to Ben, I'm sorry, he then confirms to Locke that he always has a plan, which is one of my favorite lines. I actually use that line quite a bit. I always have a plan. (laughs) Uh, And he walks away with uh, being... uh, yeah, then they walk. Then he walks away. We then go to a montage, which I feel we haven't had in quite a while. Sun has Aaron on the freighter. Jack and Sawyer are setting off after Hurley. Kate and Saeed have been captured by the others, and Ben stops to see the commandos. He says that he's Ben and that they're looking for him. And Kimi comes out, points his gun at Ben, and knocks him out with it. And that ends part one of three of there's no place like home (laughs) i love that montage i mean i love all the montages but you know to kind of circle back to what steve had mentioned it shows where the characters are you wonder how the heck are they going to get together or or be split apart and uh i love it i I love that part yeah it's definitely a tool they use throughout the whole series you know it's usually they're where placing all the pieces Mm -hmm. yeah now this thing that is the greenhouse this uh now i remember seeing i think it was the greenhouse i remember seeing a thing on youtube when we were in hawaii the first time i was hanging out with uh it was it was actually jake it was the day that you left when i was hanging out with uh kevin um sheree paria and rojan and we were we were all just doing whatever. We were going around to different places on the island and things like that. And at one point, somehow I had found this video or this this thing on YouTube where right after the series had ended, someone was in Hawaii and filmed kind of themselves being an other. And they went to a few places that were still up. And one of them appeared to be the exterior of this greenhouse. I don't remember going there. Did anyone else go there? I'm pretty sure that um, it's right behind um, the entrance to the uh, Manoa Valley Trails, um, also where they filmed the bear cages, but everything's been torn down and it's private property, so you cannot go there anymore. Ah, dang it. Yeah, okay. that was the one like on the top of my list, but yeah, it's gone. So I knew Steve would know the answer to that. Yep. yep. I was kind of hoping that too. So, <laughs> I think I know every location in that show by heart by now. And that's why you're going to be mine and Jake's best friend when we go back you next go. time. You betcha. <laughs> I, will, I will show you everything. You know, Kelly still hasn't even seen half the stuff. She missed like the the main beach last time because she's so busy. So I, I told her 
I'm going to take her on a tour one day and show her everything she wants to see. So if you guys want to come along, feel free. Yeah. Sign us <laughs> up, absolutely. Uh, we're then in a flash forward. We pick up where we left off with the season three finale. Jack with the depression beard yelling to Kate that they have to go back. She screeches the wheels and comes back yelling at him. Uh, she angrily questions how he can say this to her. He can't call her multiple times. And I just love her delivery of stoned on your pills. I don't know why. I just love how she says that. Uh, and then she shows up with an obituary for Jeremy Bentham. She mentions meeting with the mysterious Bentham and how he was crazy. But for some reason, Jack believed him of all people. Jack says that he did because all he wanted uh, was to keep her and Aaron safe. She slaps Jack, telling him not to say Aaron's name because she still has to explain to him why Jack isn't there to read to him at night. He apologizes, but she doesn't want to hear it. She spent three years trying to forget everything from the day they left, and she's basically offended that he's asking her to go back. She gets in her car once again and leaves. Slightly embarrassing Jake's story. So it ne- when I first watched this episode, um, it did not cross my mind that Jeremy Bentham could be an alias for something. And I thought it was a completely new character. And I was watching this episode with a friend. And I remember turning to them and being like, are they really going to introduce such an important character like this late in the game? Like, I went on this, like, rant about, like, what, who, like, uh, like why are they, they creating this character, Jeremy Bentham? I don't know. And then, like, of course, at the end, we figure out who it is. And I just felt like the biggest idiot ever. I don't know. Do I? I don't remember thinking that I knew who that was. I, I'm yeah, I had sure no I might, idea. I might have okay, been good. out your road. Yeah, <laughs> good. Oh, it just—it never crossed my mind. Yeah, that it was somebody we could have known, maybe using a fake name or something. No, and I think even up until the end, um, I really think I—I I was all over the place. I'm pretty sure. Like I said, we're going so far back, but um, yeah, I mean, who—who was in the coffin and all that? So we'll get there, I guess. Now. Okay, so with that, I think I was kind of in the same thing of like, oh, okay, this is somebody that we haven't met yet as well. Do we think that this perhaps mystery of Jeremy Bentham, I mean, not that, you know, we want to like, we don't want to rewrite the show or anything like that, but do we think that it maybe should have been introduced even a few episodes prior to this? Because this almost becomes like, uh, kind of like the heart of the island by the end of the series where all of a sudden it's introduced like two or three episodes from the finale and then suddenly that's the thing that the finale is basically about and this episode introduces jeremy bentham in like the opening bit of of this part two and then suddenly it's solved but then it's kind of part of the driving force to season five do we think it should have been maybe because then we could have we could have all even not me but you guys could have all even speculated more online as opposed to just during the episode you know on like a forum or something going who is Jeremy Bentham and then it's solved by the end of the episode. It's yeah, a build I mean, up it, more of a mystery. Yeah, and I mean, the, I mean the sheer like hatred they had for this guy. It was I was who could this be? I mean, I'm still I watch now and I'm like, you really hated Locke that much? I mean, was he that? I'm still looking for what he did so, so terrible in these I next... I mean, he killed, uh, what's her name? Naomi. Uh, Naomi. Naomi. Yeah. Which basically ruined their plans. He blew up the, the submarine. So I mean, there's tons of stuff, but... 
But uh, th- I mean, he's like the the name. He should not be named like Voldemort. Yeah. Like anybody try to say his name, they're like, oh, oh, don't say his name. <laughs> so and now Jack can't say Aaron's name either. So he's got two names he can't say. <laughs> so now, Steve, your 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 thing about Locke, and and I understand what you said is is all true. Are you a Locke fan or not a Locke fan? He is my him. Him and Ben are my two favorite characters of all time in the history of TV. Okay. Um, I have them both tattooed on my leg. If that shows anything, but um, no, Locke and Ben are fantastic. Completely team Locke. Okay. Same here. Yep. Agreed. Yeah, I knew that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, on the island. Jack and Sawyer are uh, trekking through the jungle with guns. Sawyer mentions how Jack doesn't look good. They get to the greenhouse and crouch down. They discuss a potential plan, but they hear a zipper. They turn around and they point their guns at Hurley. And they're as surprised to see him as he is to see them. Sawyer and Hurley are happy, while Jack is kind of awkward. And Hurley responds with awkwardness of his own. But they both mention how it's good to see each other. But Jack wants to know where he is. A moment later, they go closer to the greenhouse, and Jack and Locke finally come face to face. And this is like that, like I was saying before, you know, realistically, yeah, Jack and Locke, they've been away, but these care, like the characters or the actors, I should say, of uh, Hurley and uh, Jack, Jorge and, and Matthew Fox, they've seen each other recently. But I think it's just such a good part on the actors and the directors and the writers, the fact that they can kind of make us feel like, oh, wow, it's so nice to see these characters again when realistically we've been seeing them kind of throughout this season at least in like flash forwards and stuff. Yeah, they do a great job of, you know, it. this is where they are in this particular timeline. You know, the last time Jack and Hurley had seen each other was the, you know, the split and uh, and that, that it would be very awkward, you know, and that's exactly how I think the characters would react if this were reality. Exactly. On the freighter, Desmond, Michael, and everyone else are looking at the C4. Desmond mentions learning just enough about explosives to blow himself up. Or not blow himself up, I guess. Uh, Michael questions... Uh, why it hasn't gone off, but Desmond mentions that there's a receiver and it is triggered remotely. Jin asks about turning it off, but Desmond starts to point out how some wires are connected to things just to make it blow up uh, if they set it off. Some are connected uh, that can be set off. Everything he says ends with boom, and even Jin picks up on this. And I just love how, you know, whether he knows what it means or not, at the end, Jin is just like, boom. <laughs> uh, back at the greenhouse, we see Jack and Locke finally face to face. Locke tells him that they're at a Dharma station and he's looking to get in. He then asks to speak with Jack alone. Hurley and Sawyer go to leave, but Jack tells them to not even bother. They came for Hurley and now they're going. Locke tells Jack that he needs to speak with him, but Jack responds that he needs to get to the helicopter, get on that helicopter, and get everyone off the island. And Hurley says how the commandos are taking Ben to that helicopter he surrendered to them about an hour ago. And Jack asks Locke why Ben would do that. With Kimi, his team, and Ben, they're escorting Ben, who's been bound. Kimi wants to know why Ben is so important that Widmore wants him alive. Ben asks if Widmore ordered his daughter dead. They make it to the helicopter, and Kimi sees Frank getting himself free using the toolbox. 
Kimi is mad, and Frank is upset that he didn't get free in time. And Kimi questions who gave Frank the toolbox, but Frank hems and haws. Some noise is then heard as they all put their guns up. Kate runs out, surprised, and tells them that she survived 815. She's being chased by his people, referring to Ben. Kimi orders his men to investigate before Kate takes over, or before taking Kate over to Ben and ordering their hands on their heads. Whispers are then heard as a big fight happens with the others and or Saeed, still not quite sure if Saeed is part of that, uh, taking Kimi's men one by one. Kate and Ben exchange glances. Eventually, now Jake, I know that you're probably a fan of this scene. I'm sorry to interrupt my own yes. notes, but you're probably, so if, I didn't write too much description down. So if there was anything in particular <laughs> that anybody else wants to point out about this scene, like the whole fighting thing, please feel free. Um, eventually, Kimi orders the rest of the men to open fire. They do so and start shooting blindly into the jungle. Frank gets into the helicopter. More of Kimi's men are taken out, one with a taser even. Kate tells Ben to stay close, and they start running away. Kimi starts to go after them when a grenade lands, but Kimi kicks it towards his own men. Uh, <laughs> they die, and he starts to go after Kate and Ben once again. Ben falls with Kate yelling for him to get up, uh, to get up but Kimi gets closer. However, Saeed comes in and takes Kimi down, and they fight down a hill. They have a tussle with both of them fighting for control of a gun, and after a bunch of fighting... Saeed takes a knife and stabs Kimi. They continue fighting, uh, with eventually Saeed ending up on his back, with Kimi crushing him with a tree limb. Richard then shoots Kimi three times. Saeed then gets up. uh, Ben and Kate rejoin, and Richard and the others all emerge. Ben looks down at Kimi, who appears to be dead. Ben thanks Richard for coming before asking Kate to cut him free, and he asks Richard what the deal was between Kate and Saeed. Uh, and the others, Richard says it was to help free Ben in exchange for letting them off the island. Ben then gives them the helicopter. Kate is curious that that's it, but Ben confirms that's it. Love that scene. I mean, no secret that I love the the action-y kind of stuff, and when you got two juggernauts like Saeed Akimi, you know they can put up a fight, and, and they're going at it, and it's everything's on the line in this fight. So they're like pulling out all the stops. I don't know. I just, I love it. And they're strategic and they're fighting. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, it's good. The fight scenes where you actually don't know who's going to come out on top. I mean, there's always a question. So those but, are the, but see, the enjoyable here's, ones. Here's the issue with that. I agree. I love the fight scenes and I, I do love the suspense. And I, I, there is, in my opinion, that moment of, you know, disbelief, but we know that Saeed and Kate end up okay because we've seen them in the flash forward. Not that I think that in the moment, I, I know, but just from a from a logical perspective, like we know that they end up okay. Right, but like you said, in the suspensefulness of it, I, you can't, you, your brain's not processing the fact that you've seen him alive in other, you know, in that split second of suspense. Exactly. Very true. I don't, I don't know if that thought ran through my head during the first, uh, first time. I don't, I don't think it did. I'll be honest, it doesn't even necessarily go through my head every subsequent time I watch it. <laughs> um, we actually had another uh, thing from uh, Wayne that I will insert into the edit now. Well, apparently, the souls of the dead who are stuck on the island because they can't move on decided to take a front row seat to the epic battle between the others and the mercenaries. 
they were like all whispering to each other in excitement over what they were about to witness. (laughs) (laughs) Um, In a flash forward at Santa Rosa, Hurley is eating a candy bar. Uh, He's approached by Michael's mother who asks if he's dangerous. He's confused by who she is, but she mentions that Hurley knows her grandson and he notices Walt across the room. He promises he won't do anything crazy. Walt is then talking with Hurley, catching up, asking about the lie and saying that no one came to see him, but Jeremy Bentham came to see him. He wants to know why they're lying, and Hurley says that it's to protect everyone that didn't come back, and Walt questions if his dad is included in that, and Hurley responds that he is. Um, okay, so, does Hurley actually believe that, or is he just lying? Also, and I believe I mentioned this a few episodes ago, or I, I know that I've talked with a few other people about it. What was the deal with Walt while he was off the island? Did he go to school? Because what was his name? We know in the, the epilogue he's referred to um, with the last name, with the surname Johnson, but we know that that wasn't given to Michael until the freighter. So was Walt literally just, you know, in the grandmother's house the entire time since they got back? Because how could, like, somebody would have to question that, right? Well, I mean, he, I know he did go to school because we that's where his box saw him at. Okay, so is, I, I'm, I'm very confused. And I know that's like a, a huge plot hole thing that, like, you know, we're not supposed to think about. But, like, how could they have explained that? They could have used a fake name and just not talked about it i guess i have no idea i never really thought about it yeah i mean walt's just a giant plot hole for the writers from the get-go so (laughs) no surprise okay and again i don't i mean they have they spoken about it's not their fault i mean i guess the growth spurt and the acting kind of led to that and uh they never really found how to resolve it really right yeah Now, I heard a theory once, and I don't know if anybody else has heard this, that supposedly they were on record as saying that early on in the development of the show, each season was going to be a year instead of the first four seasons being like 100-something days on the island, that each season was going to be a year. Therefore, they could have kept Malcolm David Kelly on, and he would have just grown with the show. But I guess not long... obviously before they started the show or halfway through season one or whatever, at some point they decided against that. And that's why they needed to end up writing him out. Have you guys ever heard that before? I have not. I have not. I have, but it makes sense. I mean, the foresight, if you have a child actor, you have to have the foresight to think like that. Like, yeah, we better, we got to spread this out because you know, he's going to grow like the stranger things cast. They, you know, what what are they going to look like in season three? Yeah. Yeah. I don't watch that show, so I have no comment. Sorry. They're gonna get older. I <laughs> Thanks, Paul. You are you're in for a treat. Paul. Yes, I know. I, I believe me. I plan to one day. It's I just haven't yet. Back on the island, Hurley and Sawyer are sitting outside the greenhouse, questioning what Jack and Locke could be talking about. Sawyer then asks about the crackers, and Hurley thanks him for coming back for him. Hurley asks if Claire is okay and the baby, and Sawyer looks awkwardly at Hurley. 
in the greenhouse, Locke and Jack are having a classic man of science, man of faith chat. Locke wants Jack to stay. They talk about how they've both done bad things. Uh, Naomi, um, uh, Jack pulling the trigger on Locke. And they go back and forth, basically recapping past conversations and incidents from the first four seasons. And Jack reminds Locke about Locke saying that crashing there was their destiny. And Locke reaffirms that they all ended up there for a reason and that if he leaves, he'll regret it. Jack then goes to leave before Locke tells him that they'll have to lie about where they've been, why everyone isn't there, etc. It's the only way to protect the island. And Jack is upset, saying it's just an island and doesn't need protecting. But Locke argues that it's a place where miracles happen. Jack doesn't believe in those, and Locke mentions uh, seeing which one of them ends up being right. Ben then shows up with Jack pointing his weapon at him, but Ben moves right past him, and he and Locke have a humorous exchange about a specific plant type Ben had mentioned earlier. Jack's, Jack is confused at what they're doing, and Ben questions why Locke didn't tell him, but Locke says that he tried. Ben then goes on to tell Jack that Kate and Saeed are at the helicopter waiting for him, and they can all leave the island. He can't fill Jack in on everything, but Hurley, Sawyer, and Jack need to get moving. They need to be on the boat within an hour. He then tells Locke that they need to go. and Before Locke leaves, he once again tells Jack to lie. Locke and Ben get in an elevator, and Jack and Locke exchange one more glance before the elevator moves. Love it. Love the scene. <laughs> I do feel, as I said, that part of it was a recap, which you kind of need. I felt it was a little eh, but I just, I don't know. It seems kind of weird that Locke... I mean, it it seems within character for Locke to basically say, like, oh, yeah, you're going to need to lie. And Jack, of course, is going to deny that. I guess it's a bit later when Jack just suddenly has this realization, like, oh, crap, Locke was right, we need to lie. Did he not give that any thought until later in that moment when it happens? Because well, he didn't seem well, to give it Jack, any thought here. Jack sees the island move. Like exactly, he just yeah. he can't he can't deny that like he saw it with his own eyes. He tries to deny it, but he tries yeah he tries to deny it to himself in a way. But I think that's really the the shift of Jack starting to think maybe Locke is not as crazy, still crazy maybe, but maybe not as crazy. And you know because Locke kept saying like I just wait till you see what I'm about to do. Like this is a miracle. Like you know. And then all of a sudden the island moves and Jack goes, oh, man, Locke did something like you know like Locke was maybe in that conversation that they just had at the orchid Locke was right about something and so he goes well then maybe I do have to lie and then he starts to put together to the part about the fact that Widmore did send you know a freighter full of bad guys and if they were to tell the truth would Widmore end up sending another freighter so I think the combination of those pushes Jack towards the we should lie I mean, he wasn't. He wasn't really acting too kooky, Locke. I mean, he was pretty. He was pretty calm, and sedate, and just ex- you know, pretty explained it out pretty good. He wasn't like ranting, right? He wasn't like you know another Back to the Future reference. Some kooky old man is going to come back, and uh, you know, mm. it was a. Uh, it was sane. Yeah, I mean, it's a, from from the non-believing perspective, it would sound crazy. But I want to go on something Jake just said there for a moment, if I can. Um, Widmore sending more people. Widmore can watch the news just like anybody else, right? They could say, oh, yeah, you know, we were on this island, but it disappeared, blah, blah, blah. 
whether they're whether they say that or not, Widmore is going to see them. What was really stopping him from launching a boat once again to try to find the island anyway? Very true. That yeah, he may uh, he never give up in his pursuit. Yeah. Very possible. On the freighter, Michael has a tank of liquid nitrogen. Sun asks him what's going on. Michael asks if she told anybody, but she didn't. She wonders if he can turn it off, and he says that it uh, isn't actually on yet, but he's hoping that the tank can help. He tells her that he'll send Jin up. He doesn't need to be there. She then tells him that she's pregnant, and he congratulates her. On the lower deck... Michael is telling the guys how he's going to freeze the bomb. If he freezes it, it can't react. The catch is they only have one tank, but if they use it and before it goes off and it's unfrozen, they're back to square one. Desmond says about using it once the light turns red, but Michael says that if that happens, it's already too late. If they freeze it now, they'll have a warning. Desmond agrees, saying that he and Jin will trace the wires to try to figure it out as Michael freezes it. Not the worst plan. Definitely not. No, like I said, it, it buys them time, and, and they they all know it. Like, they, they're they not trying to say, like, this is the plan. They said it just buys them time. You know, they still have to think of something. You know, they can't, you know, uh, calm down yet. But like I said, not the worst plan. You know, they're, it, they're fully aware of what it's going to accomplish. The only issue, of course, you know, arises is who's to say that it's going to go off today and not, you know, a week from now, in theory. Oh, very true. Yeah, yeah. I was they, the they, same still, thing, yeah. they still don't know what it's connected to, right? Yeah. yeah what was the C four? Where was the C four going? I mean, was the plan to get all the survivors onto the freighter and blow? I mean, were they going to move the C four off the ship onto the island? Uh, what was the plan with the C four actually? I, I mean, it blew up the freighter, in the, in, the, the freighter. in the ocean. Destroy the freighter. So the intention was to make sure all the survivors are on the freighter and then blow up the freighter. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so so, basically say to them, oh, yeah, we're here to rescue you. Get them on the boat and then still blow them up anyway. Right. Or when they say blow was, up the island, I mean, they're, not, they're blowing up the freighter. They wanted to torch the island. So what if uh, Kimi just had this, again, he calls it an insurance plan or insurance policy. But what if everything would have went Kimi's way where he just would have got Ben, they would have got on the helicopter and they would have got back to the freighter. But then Kimi takes the C4 back to the island and then kind of places it all around and kind of torches slash blows up things all over the island that way. So what if the C4 was just, just in case this Ben plan doesn't work, but in case the Ben plan does work, I can use the C4 for something else. He could, but that's against Widmore's plan because Widmore wants the island. Right. Mm -hmm. So I just took it as like, I didn't look at it that deep where he just says, you know what, I'm going to go get Ben. I have this, uh, Dead man's trigger on me, and if I, anything happens to me, then everyone's gone. Uh, I, I yeah. never thought about bringing it back to the island or doing anything like that. I just figured it was. So yeah, you know, it, to you, and I'm I'm kind of in agreement. It wasn't necessarily so much that they were transporting it; it was just Kimi did that because he's like, well, I think something might happen to me, and if something's going to happen to me, it's going to happen to everybody else too. Exactly. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, that works. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, elsewhere, Daniel is heading back to the island. He gets there and tells Juliet that everyone is safe and that they're trying to come closer, but they don't want to hit the reef, and he'll start taking the next group momentarily. Juliet thanks him for helping. 
In the kitchen area, Rose finds Miles eating their food and gives him the guff, telling him that she's watching him. <sighs> I hated that scene so much. Why? Because Rose, Rose just bugs me. Like since season one, she's bugged me. And here's these people trying to help him out. He's having a few peanuts. They're about to get rescued, and she has to give him crap. She just always pissed me off for some reason. Really? Yeah. That's one yeah, of the I, I don't know. I, I don't Ever know many Rose like, haters. I love it. No, since season one, um, you know, Charlie was going after Claire, who he's basically in love with. He gets hanged and left for dead. And then he's sitting there being, you know, like, oh, I just almost died. And she's like, come on, we all got to move some stuff. Everyone has problems. <laughs> he almost died. Shut up. Let him grieve. And, you know, for the first few episodes, she just sat there staring out the ocean while everyone was trying to get help. And she's like, oh, my husband's out there. My husband's out there. And we let her sit there. But then Charlie almost dies trying to save the pregnant girl. And you're going to give him crap. So <laughs> well, that's like season season six, too. She's like, Desmond, you're breaking our rule. We don't like people. So. Yeah, <laughs> I just, I've just never liked her at all. So I have a new perspective on Rose now. <laughs> <laughs> I really do. Yeah. This is how this his thinking of Rose is kind of my thinking about Jack, where it's like, just let everybody do whatever they want to do. <laughs> yeah. Jack's the same way. Dan enters uh, and gets Miles to come join him. He tells Miles that he wants to get him on the Zodiac uh, and get off the island on the next trip. But Miles says he's going to stay. Daniel tries to convince him of the, quote, direness of circumstance, unquote, but Miles still says that he's going to stay. Charlotte approaches, and Daniel tells her to be ready in 10 minutes before walking away, and Miles mentions being surprised that she wants to leave, seeing as she spent all the time trying to get back here. He then eerily says, what do I mean, when she questions him on this before he walks away? And she says it a little bit later about, you know, like, oh, the the place of my birth or whatever. And I know a lot of people don't like Charlotte. Do we think that this was just kind of thrown in there, especially in a finale, just to kind of be like, guess what? She's going to be sticking around. We're going to give her a mystery. You got to care about her. <laughs> Potentially, yeah. <laughs> um, at the Orchid... Locke and Ben are in the elevator. This station is deep. They get out, and the lights are coming on, and Locke asks Ben if this is the magic box, which it isn't. That line pisses me off, because I hate the fact that they kept referencing the magic box. They mentioned it, then Ben was like, oh, it's a metaphor, and Locke still thinks it's a real thing. Which led to fans thinking it was a real thing, and then the creators having to come out multiple times and say, for the love of God, it's a metaphor. Leave it alone. And people still think that to this day. And people still think it. Well, people still think they were dead the whole time also. And that pisses me off, too. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Immensely. Um, Ben tells Locke that this is the station, and like the others, it was for silly experiments. Uh, John starts to ask more, and Ben, who's trying to do something, sits Locke down and finds the orientation tape to show him. On the tape is Dr. Edgar Hallowax, thus answering Ben's parka, as well as being another humorous candle pun. He then tells about the Orchid greenhouse being a cover for the unique studies of time and space. He shows the vault, a chamber near a pocket of energy they believe is negatively charged exotic matter. Uh... He says, don't put inorganic materials there. The electromagnetism is high and unpredictable. Never any metal, as Ben is putting metal in there. 
and Hallowax mentions trying to shift the test subject, a bunny, ten seconds ahead. It will seemingly disappear, but in reality... But then the tape starts whizzing and rewinding itself on its own as Ben is throwing more and more things into the vault. Locke eventually goes to ask Ben if he was actually talking about, and Ben comments, yes, time-traveling bunnies. Locke then mentions not putting metal objects in, and Ben nods his head, indicating a grander plan. The elevator makes noise and goes back up, and Locke asks about someone joining them, and Ben asks for his weapon back. Yeah, I just kept thinking of my, my Ghostbusters uh, thing. Shouldn't we not cross the streams? It was like, you know, <laughs> throwing metal into the box there. Yeah. And I let, like Locke, like, while he's watching the video and looking over at Ben, like, he wants to say, like, you know, like, he, like, kind of almost, like, stops himself to keep watching the video while realizing Ben's doing the exact opposite of what the video is saying. Yep. Like, he has pretty good like, reactions, like, a, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> now, um, isn't there something about this scene or the, the, that orientation tape where they showed, I don't know if it ended up being considered officially yeah. canon, but I feel like they showed something at a comic con with this, where there were two of the same bunny and it shows, uh, what's his name? Ha- Edgar Hallowax being like, they need to stay away from each other. And he's like flipping out on the production crew that's making this orientation film. Is that right? Or am I imagining this? Yeah, yeah, there was no, something that... from Comic Con where the the two rabbits were they can't touch or something. Yeah, uh, and he drops like an F word or something that they do. So, yeah, it was it was kind of a, a joke, but also a like, you know, they called it the outtake of that video. But yeah, that's exactly what happened in there. Okay, um, and also Wayne has an interesting thing to say about this, so I will insert that here. Ben's contempt for the Dharma Initiative really shows in this scene. You know, Locke naturally wanted to learn as much as he could about the Orchid Station and what the Dharma Initiative is using it for, uh, you know, because he thinks it's going to help him further understand the mysteries of the island. But as far as Ben was concerned, the Dharma Initiative did nothing but a bunch of silly experiments. You know, time-traveling bunnies, yeah, no big deal. And then Ben gets impatient with Locke's questions, and so he's, so he's like, here, just watch this stupid video. And then Ben sets out to destroy the main piece of equipment in the Orchid Station, just because it's in the way of where he needs to go. Of course, to us, this is all understandable, because we know Ben's background. But Locke doesn't. I don't think Locke has quite grasped just how much Ben hates the Dharma Initiative. So Locke doesn't realize that Ben is just not the person to be asking these kinds of questions. Back at the helicopter, Jack, Hurley, and Sawyer show up. Hurley is excited to see Kate and Saeed, and Sawyer mentions to Kate about the dead commando, and they have a little bit of banter about, like, oh, which one did you kill, and blah, blah, blah. Jack asks about the baby. She tells him that Aaron is with son, probably on the freighter by now. Sawyer then asks Frank, Kenny Rogers, about picking the lock, and he volunteers a hacksaw instead. Oh, I love the Kenny Rogers nickname. On that, I have a Wayne note, so that'll go here. Hmm, you know, maybe Sawyer calling him Kenny Rogers was what inspired Lapidus to shave off his beard later. Jack and Saeed then catch up. They talk about the Zodiac and the freighter, and if it's safe, Saeed mentions that it is now. 
Uh, Sawyer cuts Frank free, and they all go to get on the helicopter. Hurley asks about coming back for Claire once they're all off onto the freighter, and Jack tells him that they absolutely can. Frank then gets in the helicopter, gets the helicopter up, and they're off. And this is a really great scene because, excuse me, one, it goes against Desmond's vision in regards to Charlie at the end of last season, thus being like, okay, did Charlie really have to die because Desmond's vision didn't come true? And I believe uh, myself and a few other people covered that at the end of last season. But it's also the moment for Jack and for really all of them where this this is them. They're off the island. Even though it's, yeah, you know, if one of them like falls out, which we see with Sawyer later, they can get back very easily. To them, this is that moment where it's like, oh my God, we're finally off that stupid island. Yeah, that's a big moment for them. That's for sure. I mean, uh, you can see it in their faces when they look down and look around, like some smile, like, yeah. Down in the orchid, the elevator comes back down to the bottom. Kimi steps out, barely. He takes a knife from his boot. The tape is playing in the background, but no one is seen. He's yelling for Ben to come out, and he mentions needing to be shot in the head, not the back, like a coward. And he says that he's wearing body armor. He then shows off the dead man's trigger. Uh, He is the remote connected to the C4 that Michael, Jin, and Desmond are worrying about on the freighter. And if he dies, they all die too. Locke is then there and introduces himself, saying he has no conflict with Kimi. He just wants to talk, but Kimi isn't up for that. And just like Bill said before, he's very calm during all of this, which is nice because sometimes during these kind of like high-pressure island, you know, uh, mystical sort of things, like they're going to be moving the island or whatever, Locke thinks he's calm, but he's actually being a lot, like very angry. So it's nice to see him just being like, I have no conflict with you. I'm the protector of this place, you know? It was like almost a negotiator in a a situation, you know? He's very calming and, you know, trying to negotiate. Yeah, exactly what he's trying to do. Ben then bursts out, takes Kimi down, and beats his injured leg, and he starts stabbing Kimi wildly while yelling, You killed my daughter! over and over again. Eventually, Locke yells for Ben to stop and pulls him off. The trigger then starts beeping. Locke says how Ben killed everyone on the boat, and Ben doesn't care. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, I could really see where Ben's coming from. I mean, he was tunnel vision on avenging his daughter's death, and at what cost, I don't think mattered. So, as far as killing everybody on the freighter, I don't even think it was in, you know, not that he didn't care about it, but it wasn't part of what he was working on at the moment. That was all feelings, no logic. Right. Um, back at the beach, Daniel is having a moment with Charlotte. She tells him that, they sh- that she's going to stay for now, but he tells her that this is it. It could be forever, and she tells him that nothing is forever. He's confused as to why she'd want to stay, and she mentions how she's looking for where she was born, but he confirms that this makes no sense. We talked about that a little before. They embrace. She kisses him on the cheek, saying goodbye to him. And he goes to the Zodiac and talks with Juliet, who he guesses also isn't coming. And she mentions how she wants to make sure everyone is safe first. He's hesitant about when he's coming back before setting off again. Why didn't he express... I mean, yeah, 
you know, they weren't that close, but why didn't he express this to her? He's telling Miles and Charlotte about the direness of circumstance of they need to come with him. But Juliet's just like, I'm going to make sure everyone's safe and I'll get you on the next one. And he's just like, yeah, sure. Like, why didn't he at least say to her, like, you know, this might be the last one. You might want to hop on here. I think part of it was to, if she had, if he had said that to her, she would have let everyone else know. And there would have been a huge chaotic event as opposed to just simply ferrying people back and forth. Just kind of keep everyone calm, maybe. Okay. Fan of Juliet, Steve? At first, I was not. She definitely grew on me in season five. Um, I'm not a fan or not a not fan, so it's just kind of middle of the road for me. Okay. Back on the freighter, on the lower deck, Michael is freezing the bomb while Desmond thinks that he found the correct wire, but Jin shows him that it's no good. They have a quarter tank left, and if they can't deactivate the bomb, they better get everybody off the ship. The helicopter is then flying towards the freighter. Frank notices that they're losing fuel. They look on the sides and see a leak, and Frank wants to set it down, but Jack tells him not to. There's no fuel on the island, which is the other closest place to land, but Frank doesn't see the boat and tells him to get or tells them all to get any extra weight off the helicopter, which they do. It helps, but not enough, as Frank wishes they were a few hundred pounds lighter, and the camera focuses on Hurley once again. Because of course it does. Of course it does. Jack once again demands that he cannot go to the island. Sawyer gets Kate's attention and whispers to her, and some claim that they can hear him mention his daughter, but I believe there's a thing on Lostpedia where somebody isolates his audio, and he supposedly says, in Alabama, but she's actually in Albuquerque, so it's like, oh, does he really mention her? I don't know. Uh, She then asks why he's telling her this, and he says, just do it, after kissing her. And he jumps out of the helicopter. He floats up, watches the helicopter fly off before he starts to swim back to the island. I do want to touch on Sawyer jumping out. Um, I always said before, at the beginning of the show, he was just all for himself. And then he's now sacrificing himself to save everyone else. It's just fantastic character development. Agreed. In a flash forward, we're outside Santa Rosa where a man is reading a newspaper before someone approaches him asking for the time. He begins to say what sounds like 8.15 before the man who asked Saeed shoots him dead. Inside, Saeed sneaks around before eventually finding Hurley's room. He tells Hurley that he's planning on breaking him out, taking him somewhere safe. He says circumstances have changed and that Bentham is dead. They said it was suicide, but he doesn't believe it. Question, or Hurley then questions who they are and why he's saying Bentham, but Saeed tells him that they're being watched. He just killed a man outside. Hurley says that he constantly has conversations with dead people, uh, and Saeed wants to get him somewhere safe, not the island. Hurley agrees before making a move on the chessboard, telling Mr. Echo he got the chess, uh, the checkmate, and they leave. And I want to say again, Jake, I'm taking your job here. Uh, from the Lostpedia stuff, but I want to say something on there said this is the last time in the present timeline that they mentioned Mr. Echo? Uh, Let me take a look. Probably, just going off of memory, I believe Yeah, it sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Back on the helicopter, Saeed is asking where the boat is, and Frank says he can't find it. He followed the bearing, and they must have moved it. They only have about four or five minutes left unless someone else wants to jump. Jack then tells Kate that they'll go back for Sawyer, and Hurley yells that he sees the boat. Now, is this 
just a matter of they moved the boat or is it just the whole kind of cloaking device thing of the island and for whatever reason Frank couldn't see it but Hurley could? Uh, I think the guy did say he was going to move the boat, but he wasn't going to move it that close because he couldn't see the reef. So yeah, they said and the closest they can get was five miles from the island. And then Daniel does say like, "Oh, hey, you know, since the boat is moving, it's not going to take me that long in another trip to get the people over there." So I think it has moved somewhat. Yeah. All right, because see, I always at first I always took it as like, you know. Oh, they can't see it because because the boat has moved and therefore they might still be within the radius of the island, but the boat is like kind of in as we as we'll see in a little bit, the boat is kind of like in an in-between place where it might be in the radius of the island, but it might not be, so maybe that's why they couldn't see it. Um back in the orchid, Kimi is still alive, but barely. Locke tries keeping him alive, not wanting everyone on the boat to die, but Ben says that this isn't his problem. Kimi, moments before he dies, tells Ben that Widmore will always find him, but Ben comments that he will find Widmore first. Kimi then dies as Locke tries any last-ditch efforts, and the light turns from green to red. On the freighter, the light of the bomb also turns from green to red, and Michael tells the other two to leave and get everybody off the boat. They maybe have five minutes left in the tank. Jin tells Desmond to leave, which he does as Michael keeps spraying the nitrogen. Desmond then runs to the deck and sees the helicopter about to land and freaks out, yelling and waving his arms for them to not land. He says there's a bomb. On the helicopter, they're questioning what he said, but Frank says he doesn't care. They need to land now. And as they do, Desmond tries telling them what's going on as Frank gets to work and puts a few of the survivors to task as well. Kate gets to Sun and tells her that they have to go, but Sun says she won't leave without Jin, and he's below the deck. Kate tells her to get the baby on the helicopter, and she'll get Jin. Frank thinks they have enough to get them to the island. Below deck, Michael finally tells Jin he has to go. They debate this, but eventually Michael tells him that he's a father now, and his job is to get his wife and baby safe and home. He thanks Michael and leaves. On deck, the helicopter is starting, and they're all going to get on, and Jack stops Kate from looking for Jin. Desmond is finishing the final touches. Kate gets on, and Sun is upset that Jin isn't there. But Jin gets onto the deck and shouts in Korean as they've already taken off. Sun is yelling that Jin is there, and they need to go back for him, but Frank tells her no. She continues yelling that they need to go back. Below the deck, Michael is on the fumes from the tank. We then hear the whispers before Christian appears, telling Michael he can go now, and the freighter explodes. So about Christian showing up, I know there's a lot of debate on, at least from what I have seen, that the smoke monster can't cross water, so why does he show up? I've always felt that that was just actually Christian, and that was him not being able to move on. This is why we had the whispers. Is that what everyone else thinks as well? Ooh, okay, didn't think of it like that. I always... uh kind of believe that the island is a character as well and then that's because it's always been said that the island won't let you move on so like i and then finally there's a character saying you can go i'm like well that maybe that's the island and you're right because you need an explanation of who is this it can't be the man in black because the man in black can't travel on water but they did say it's a good yeah yeah, but i mean he falls into the water at some point later on so yeah i I I thought of it go ahead there's like a 
bubble on top of the island of a radius where he can get off so far and the freighter was inside that radius. That's what really, I if thought the freighter as wasn't well. Inside, yeah. But if the freighter wasn't inside that radius, it wouldn't it couldn't be found, right? They'd have to have the certain coordinates to get back and forth. Well, they have the, the whole bearing. Time travel. They have right. the bearing to right. get there, but I I do agree that that it might fall within that radius, but then the question becomes once it blows up and they uh when Juliet and Sawyer are talking on the beach, I think it's at the beginning of the next episode, um, they look out and they don't see the freighter anymore. So did it blow well, itself out of the... Yeah, no, but when they start time traveling, did the did the freighter blow itself outside of the radius? Oh. You know what I mean? Well, so it's, like, It's completely sunk by the end of the, this episode. Right. So it's just underwater, and when Sawyer gets back to the island, you just see the smoke coming up. Okay. Um, and with this, Wayne has an interesting theory that I will insert now. Okay. Christian Shepard appearing in front of Michael on the freighter just before it exploded. Hmm, that's a tough one. I mean, generally, when we see Christian on the island... We assume it's the man in black, but this isn't on the island. Although I do think the freighter is within the island's radius at this point, and I say that just by the fact that when it exploded, Jin started traveling through time. So it is possible that the man in black could have gotten on the freighter somehow, but it could also be actually Christian Shepard, because like, uh, in a previous podcast recently, we were trying to figure out how Christian could appear in front of Jack in the hospital when that flashed forward, because that's definitely off the island. And the theory we came up with on the spot was actually kind of interesting, uh, which is basically that dead people, after they move on, have the ability to go back to any point in time and briefly appear in front of any person that they choose to. And that's the case with Christian whenever he appears as himself. And so in this instance, it might be Christian was kind of the overseer of the moving on process in the church at the end. And maybe he realized that Michael should have been there, but he couldn't move on because of what he did. And so he decides to go visit Michael just before his death. And just kind of give him one last word of encouragement. You can go now. So that's one possibility. The other possibility is that, is that it was the man in black. Maybe he posed as a background oceanic survivor that nobody realized was dead. And he took the first Zodiac raft trip to the freighter. That's how he was able to appear in front of Michael on the freighter. And then after the freighter exploded, he hitched a ride back to the island on some piece of debris or something. Why, why the man in black would do that, I have no idea. So I think at this point I'm going to go with the, uh, the first possibility, which is that it's, it, it's the actual moved-on soul of Christian Shepard. On the helicopter, Sun is freaking out, screaming Jin's name. Moments later, she still wants to lower the helicopter to look for Jin, and Jack tells her that there's nothing there. Frank tells her that he doesn't have enough fuel, and she keeps yelling for them to go check 
but Jack and Saeed eventually have to tell her that he's not there and they couldn't get to him, and Jack finally says the words, he's gone. There's a moment where they all soak this in before Jack orders Lapidus to get them back to the island, and Sun freaks out once again. In a flash forward in London, Sun answers a call on her cell where she gets to talk to her daughter and her mother. A moment later, she approaches Charles Widmore, and she introduces herself and mentions, uh, and he mentions that he knows her father. She then comments that he knows who she actually is and knows that they've been lying about the island. They have common interests and should talk. She reminds him that the Oceanic Six are not the only ones who left the island, and Woodmore calls after her, asking why she would help him, but she keeps walking. One of the, if I'm not mistaken, one of the very few scenes filmed outside of Hawaii. Correct. Yep. yep. That was actually filmed on location uh, because... Uh, was it Alan Dale is his name? He was shooting a play, or not shooting, he was acting in a play over in London, and he couldn't make it back to Hawaii to film any scenes. So that one and the scene where uh, Ben goes to his penthouse and talks to him about the rules, uh, those are both filmed in London. And they were actually shot on the same trip. So yeah. even though multiple episodes apart... Mm-hmm. Uh, so we all know the Sun's motive in this scene got explained in the season five premiere. Um, Sun is trying to partner up with Widmore because she wants Ben Linus dead. And to me, that makes no sense. Because if, if Sun is blaming Ben for Jin's death, I mean, sure, it was Ben's fault that the freighter exploded. But... Charles Widmore was responsible for the freighter full of all that C4 even being there in the first place. So why doesn't the son blame Widmore as much as Ben for Jin's death? That part I don't get. Back in the Orchid, Locke asks Ben why he killed Kimi and is willing to destroy the boat. And Ben says that he was thinking with his emotional side, but he feels John may do a better job than him. He closes the door to the vault and turns it on with all the metal in there. After some strange noises, the vault explodes, and Ben goes to check. On the beach, Sawyer swims up and sees Juliet drinking Dharma-branded alcohol. He sarcastically tells her that it's a nice day for a swim. He won't tell her exactly why he's there, though. He sees the booze and asks what she's celebrating, but she's not. He sees that she's sad drinking, and she motions behind him. He turns and sees the boat having just exploded. He asks her if it's their boat, and she says it was. Back in the Orchid, Ben comes out with the parka on and tells Locke that he's going somewhere cold, but Locke doesn't get one because he isn't going. Locke argues that Jacob told him to move the island, but Ben argues that he didn't tell him how. Has there ever been any confirmation as to how Ben knows this, by the way? No idea. Yeah, no. Mm-mm. Okay. Because Ben, always, he always talked a lot. You know, he never knew what was true, what he knew, you know. Yeah, right. I wonder if Ben just believed it, like this was his time to move on or something, you know, kind of. Yeah. He, he lost leadership a lot, so that this must be what Jacob's demanding from him. No, no, but I mean, how did he know? Right, to... it seems like there's law. To go turn the wheel? Yeah. Um... The best I can put together is that Jacob saw a man in black building the wheel, and then maybe Jacob told Richard, and Richard told Ben, 
that's the best I got. I have no idea. Okay. As Jake said, Ben sees this as his punishment. Whoever moves the island can't come back. And he directs John to where Richard and the others will be, ready to answer all of his questions and accept him as their leader. He then tells John that John will find his way. He always does. Moments later, we see John approaching the others. He's standing above them, and I always get religious vibes as Richard welcomes him home. Yeah, I looked at this as like a confirmation. Like, yeah, he is the leader. Look at that. Oh, but that's how it came about. Yeah. Because you're never really sure if that was true that, you know, Locke was destined to be the leader. And that kind of like confirmed it. Yep. Yeah, that's what I thought. Until season five. Exactly. (laughs) Down in the depths of the orchid, Ben enters the hole in the vault where he goes down a tunnel and eventually finds a ladder. At the bottom is ice, which he breaks through and continues down the ladder before falling and cutting his arm. He sees the big frozen donkey wheel. He looks upwards and proclaims he's hoping Jacob is happy before he starts trying to turn it, but it's solid. He uses a crowbar to help him. A strange noise is then heard. Everywhere else hears it too. The beach, the helicopter, the others, the Zodiac, so on. As the helicopter is flying, Ben turns the wheel as a bright white light happens. Everything turns white. Everyone covers their eyes and the island bloops out of existence. The helicopter can't see the island and Frank is freaking out and Hurley comments that it's gone. Jack mentions landing at Hydra Island, but Frank tells him that it's all ocean all around them. They're out of fuel, and they're going down. Saeed yells for Desmond to get the life raft, which they throw into the ocean. The helicopter then crashes. What did we think? Tell me this isn't one of the coolest moments in the show. This is like the moment that constantly sticks in my mind where there's like the little ripple when the island disappears. Uh, That's hashtag mind blown for sure. Yeah. One thing I really liked about it was if you listen to the official podcast, they kind of hinted at this and every season finale had a, a code name for the big, the big ending thing. And for this one, it was frozen donkey wheel. So when you saw that it was a literally a frozen donkey wheel, you're like, Oh, this is the big thing for the finale. Um, and then we find out there's a whole nother episode left after it, which is really cool. Um, but then uh, on top of that, just Jack's reaction to it when, Hurley's like, oh, he did it. And he's like, no, he didn't. No, dude, he did. The <laughs> island's not there. Like, And that's when, he, I guess, when Jack finally realizes, you know, as we discussed before, that Locke isn't crazy. Yeah. And that was the thing. Like, um, I believe um, the previous season finale to this, I talked with Dan, and we were talking about the code names for things. And that was one of the things that I remember seeing when I was watching the show because there were a few things I was spoiled on, a few things I wasn't, and one of them was the fact that there were these code names. There was the frozen donkey wheel, and that it appears that they purposely misdirected because mm-hmm. we see, oh, the frozen donkey wheel, and then there is this whole secondary twist that we'll get to momentarily. In the water, moments later, they're all searching for each other, trying to make sure everyone is alive and safe. Eventually, they get to the raft. Desmond is out, and Jack performs CPR eventually Uh, and eventually gets him back. They're all alive as they drift in the ocean. In a flash forward, Kate is in bed when she wakes up to what we find out is going to be a nightmare. She answers the phone suddenly and hears whispers before the line goes dead. 
She goes to check on Aaron and sees a woman near his bed. She freaks out, and it's Claire who angrily demands that she not bring Aaron back to the island. Kate suddenly wakes up and runs to Aaron's room, crying and apologizing. Last time we see Claire, except for... Whoop, whoop. <laughs> Jake hates Claire. I loved Claire so much. Back in the present, in the water, Hurley asks Kate if Aaron is okay, which he is. Hurley then mentions how Locke did it. He moved the island. Jack denies this. But Hurley fights him on this, saying that it was there. Now it isn't. He moved the island, unless Jack has another explanation. I love that. Hurley's finally going like, no, Jack, you don't know what you're talking about this time. Because I saw it. He moved it. Yeah, that's one of my favorite scenes of the whole show. Just how Hurley finally stands up and says, Jack, you're wrong. It's a great scene. Uh, A spotlight then hits them. Lapidus is surprised and begins shouting for it to get their attention. They all join him except for Jack. Jack has a moment of realization and tells them that they'll all have to lie. They're confused, but he tells them that they have to lie about everything that happened since the crash. Frank mentions how this is the moment where they should all be jumping up and down about being rescued. But Jack says how the freighter, the commandos, they were all sent to kill everyone on the island. There was a fake plane. Everyone thinks they're dead. So what's the story when it's revealed that it all wasn't true? What happens to everyone left behind? And Jack says to let him do the talking. The other boat then approaches as men who speak another language call to them. In between all the words they don't understand, they hear someone yelling for Ms. Widmore, and Des perks up. She comes to see and yells to get them a rope. Desmond freaks out in a positive way and climbs the boat, barely even using the rope, and kisses Penny, finally reunited. Now this is the Penny and Desmond scene that is everybody should be goo-goo-gagging about. Not the constant, that was whatever. You know, this is a a real... uh, I'm not big into the romance part of, of Lost, but I... This is great. This is the Desmond Penny reunion uh, we needed to see. Right. And if you think about this, one episode has two such satisfying moments. I mean, it didn't end well, the first one, where they're actually off the island in a helicopter leaving, and you're like, wow. And here again, it's been four seasons, and this big reu- you know, reuniting, that's two great scenes in one, one episode. But it's it's interesting, though, because... This I'm you know what I'm I'm not saying I completely agree with with Jake though but this is as I talked about before with you know um, flashback or flash forward um, actors working in scenes versus the present day thing this is really the scene I think the only reason Jake and I know you don't like the constant it's one of probably one of your least favorite episodes you're wrong well let's but not go it's... there it's a it's a it's a mediocre it's mediocre at it's best it's highly overrated I will agree thank with you. On that you. One. It was just voted the best episode of the show. <laughs> I, I disagree no, 100%. It was, it was voted one of the best episodes of TV. Let's well, get that straight. Okay, that's well, that's true. There you go. <laughs> um, I think the reason for that, though, is probably because of the emotional toll that Desmond takes and the fact that Desmond is such a beloved character. Their romance is such a beloved thing. So even though this is them reuniting in the present, the fact that Desmond in just one episode goes through this whole thing about he loses his memory he might die blah 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 he's literally traveled at that point through time and space just to be reunited with her 
through the phone, that's pretty epic. And that's, I think, why a lot of people gravitate towards that moment more so than this moment. I, I like I'm that. still like that's not gonna change my mind. <laughs> I, I love both scenes and I, I think the constant is an amazing episode. Um but every time everyone brings up Lost and the best episode is always the constant, the constant, constant. And it was great. I mean, even just uh like the editing was fantastic in that episode, but yes. it's not the best episode of TV ever to exist. There's I would, so I much would argue lost. That this episode is better than the constant. I mean, all the the twists, the reveals, the mysteries, the uh, no, the Dharma station. I mean, this is I, mean, I, I, I would love this one it's, more. It's yeah. more of a almost a standalone episode where you could just kind of jump in and watch that one episode and be like, all right, here's the quick background. Desmond loves Penny. Penny loves Desmond. They're separated, and now watch this, and you can kind of get it. But so there's not really much tie-in. But so wouldn't that make for a better episode of TV? Because for a general audience, anything that you can jump in on would be better than this one. And I agree. In terms of Lost, I think this might be a better episode, except for the fact that like we found so many plot holes in it. Uh, I might agree that this is a better episode overall for the show, but in terms of TV and you know, from a more general standpoint... The constant might be a better episode because you could just generally jump speaking, into it. yeah, right. it's, it's they, they call it a standalone, a standalone episode where yeah. you could just pick it out itself. Yeah, yeah. Overall, I would I would definitely agree with that. If you're just going to pick out one episode to show someone, that would probably be kind of the episode. But as a lost fan, it's not even in my top ten. Oh, I yep. yeah, no, I'm not saying it's. I don't oh, think yeah. it's the best personally, but. Yeah, the, I just Jake and I have been having an ongoing discussion about this. I think it was kind of leading towards this to get there, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's part of actually part of a trilogy of great episodes. I mean, flashes before your eyes. I think I enjoy more, and that's part of that. Yeah. Theme. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay, so with the final present timeline reunion of Desmond and Penny, everybody soaks it all in for a moment. He asks how she found them. She mentions his call and the fact that she has a tracking station because money can buy anything. Uh, He declares his love and that he'll never leave her again. Ha. Uh, (laughs) The other survivors are now on board. Desmond introduces them all to her. Jack is the last one and tells her that it's nice to meet her, but they need to talk. We then skip ahead to one week later, which is like the first time we've ever done that. Everything has always been, you know, like relatively, it's been a day, it's been two days. This is, I think, one of like the first time the show has like jumped forward kind of in time like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's one week later and they're all still on the boat. They're going over their story. Hurley is questioning if they really want to go to another island and Saeed reminds him of keeping everyone safe. On the other side of the boat, Frank and Jack put the raft into the water. Frank tells Jack that as long as the wind isn't too bad, they should get there in less than 10 hours, long enough to get a really good sunburn. Frank, or I'm sorry, Jack thanks Frank and tells him, not rudely, that he hopes that they never see each other again. Penny says goodbye to Aaron. Desmond questions Jack one more time, and Jack questions him back. Desmond confirms that as long as he has Penny, he'll be fine, and Jack reminds them to not let Widmore find them. Uh, and that he'll see him in another life. The two part ways as Jack goes to lead them all home. 
They paddle on the raft to the island where villagers help them, and we could see the moment where the picture from earlier in the press conference was taken. And this is how the Oceanic Six were rescued. And we finally get closure to kind of that, that season four arc. We then go to a flash forward as Jack is driving recklessly down L.A. listening to, I believe it's the Pixies. Not a big fan, Mm -hmm. so I'm not 100% sure. It is the Pixies. I am a fan. Okay. Uh, He makes his way to the Hoffs Drawler Funeral Parlor. He parks and takes his time approaching the building. It's locked, but he doesn't care. He just breaks the lock and barges right in. Inside, he makes his way to his casket. This is Jeremy Bentham. He sees a form where no one has claimed the body. He opens the top of the casket, and we hear a familiar voice greet Jack, who is thrown off and sees Ben standing there. Ben asks if Bentham told Jack that Ben was off the island, which he did. They last spoke about a month ago. Bentham also spoke to Kate, too. He told Jack that after the Oceanic Six left, bad things happened, and it was all their fault. He says, does he say our fault or my fault? I think he says it was all my fault. I think he said my. Yeah. I'm not sure now, but. Um, And that that, they have to go back, or he has to go back. Ben mentions how Jack has been taking planes hoping they'd crash, and that that's very dark. Uh, (laughs) Ben then says that he's there to tell Jack he can't go alone. The island won't let him. They all have to go back. Jack scoffs at this and mentions how he doesn't know where Saeed is. Hurley's crazy. Son hates him, and Kate won't talk to him anymore. Ben then offers to help, saying that it won't be easy, but it's the only way. It has to be all of them, and he has a few ideas. Jack goes to leave, but Ben stops him, saying all of them. They have to bring him too. They then look at the coffin as the camera arcs around to see a well-dressed corpse inside jeremy bentham but it's really john locke yeah ben has some great hair in that uh, scene (laughs) yes he does yeah he does yeah yeah. his whole i love the outfit too that black yeah it works he pulls it off (laughs) so where do you go with that i mean who who was in the casket i mean who did we think was in there uh, I was along for the ride. I I, I didn't know still if if Jeremy Bentham was going to be like a brand spanking new character. Right. I'm like, let's just see what happens here. You know, could it have been empty. Now they did film alternate scenes too, right? Yeah, right. one with Correct. Desmond and one with Sawyer. Sawyer, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And did you guys notice that in season five when they do the reveal to show that Locke is still in in the box and that it's not. You know, the man in black is lock, whatever. It's the exact same camera movement of going over the coffin type thing. Mm-hmm, right. yeah, yeah, I thought that was yeah. familiar. Yeah. That's yeah, a nice little touch they did. And of course, Hofstrawler is the anagram for flash forward. There you go. <laughs> uh, that was my final note. The only other thing that I really remember from this was that it was pointed out um i believe it was on lostpedia again the fact that with the freighter exploding which i probably should have mentioned it then this is the fourth time fourth time that uh basically something explodes once again in the season finale uh in the first one it's the raft one could also argue that it's the hatch kind of the thing that they've been focusing on for the majority of the season so that was uh 
the raft or perhaps the hatch door in season one. Season two, it was the station itself, the Swan Station. Uh, season, what was season three? The others. Okay. Like the tents, you yeah. know, blowing up the tents. Yeah. And, and um, it's not blowing up, but the, uh, the looking glass station, I guess, could be argued there as well. And then now the freighter in season four. But yeah, this episode was the last one that I watched before finally watching the show live. So I was, by the time I saw this, I was basically at the same, I was almost at the same place as all the rest of you, except I then, I mean, I guess like the rest of you, I probably went back and watched the first four seasons many, many more times. But by the time I was done, I was much closer to season five premiering because I kind of got caught up not long before that premiered. So yeah, this was, I'm at this point in my first time watching, I was finally caught up with all the rest of you. (laughs) Now, how did you feel about that? Having watched it not live, because I know a lot of people now they'll binge the whole thing on Netflix or Hulu in, you know, two or three weeks. They're like, eh, it was okay. Um, versus me who watched it pretty much live for six years. I liked having as much as the breaks were annoying. I liked being able to theorize stuff and discuss things with other people. And I felt that over six years, I grew more attached to the characters in the story versus someone now who's like, yeah, I watched it in two weeks. It was good. I'm like, no, it's the best thing you'll ever see in your entire life. You need to realize that. But <laughs> And I, I do have that argument. I have a friend of mine at work, uh, and he was like, yeah, it was it was okay. It's not as good as you've like built it up to be. And, um, you know, we still argue about that. But uh, I think because I – this was one of the very first shows that I kind of went all in on. I had a few shows mm-hmm. in my life which were like – yeah, they were my show. I watched them. And there were there were others that I watched from the very beginning until the very end live week to week. But this was one of the first shows that I like fully immersed myself in. So I did kind of feel that connection, even though I binged them. And I actually again, I because I recorded a few of these out of order, I, I'll talk about it in a few episodes from now. But one of the things that I did, even with season five, because I, I don't like the week to week waiting i understand why it's needed and even you know from season to season i understand why it's needed and i do like that perspective a lot better um but one of the things that i would do even with season five was i started to get a few episodes on abc's website where like say before jughead let's just say i would i would sit down and i would watch uh because you left the lie and then watch jughead live you know what I mean? So like I would do that so I So you would have... wait episodes? No 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 I would, no, no, no. I watched those when they when they premiered and then I would watch okay, them a okay. few more times over the next week, but then the day that it happened, the day that it was on, I would also again watch them like just so that I could have like a mini marathon myself. Now by the time it got okay. to like towards okay. the end of season five, I would maybe do like the last few episodes before the incident. I wouldn't do the whole season. But I would I would like to do little mini marathons because I don't know, I just I, I like the concept of the binge, but I understand the need for week to week or, you know, just like spacing out the viewing. Right. I did the same 
thing basically. I would rewatch last week's episode before the new episode, and then every time before the finale, I would rewatch the entire season, and then before the new season, I would rewatch the entire show. Right, and that was what I did between five and six. Was I probably watched one okay. through five multiple times again, just like I did with one through mm-hmm. four? Yeah. Um, do we have anything else that we wanted to discuss for this? There's one thing that came up uh, when I was watching today that um, I probably should have brought up before, but there's the part where Sun goes to her dad's office and she says, there's two people responsible for Jin's death. One of them is you. Is the other one Jack Whitmore, Ben, Kimi? Who, who is she talking about the other one? I think it's Jack. I think there uh, there's the episode uh, where, where Kate and Sun are chit-chatting um, and then uh, this takes place after the island or whatever and um like i think son's kind of talking about blaming people i can't remember the full scene now but then she goes like oh how's jack by the way and i I think it is jack that she okay that's what i kind of figure because he's the one that's like we gotta go we gotta go but there's also um when she's talking to widmore she's like you know you and me have a common enemies and i was like but what did ben do that you're so pissed at him i mean besides the obvious Ben stuff, but well, that uh, just kind of occurred to me today. Is like, I don't know. I always thought it was because Whit- she visited Widmore. I I thought it was Widmore because she visited her father and and she visited Widmore in the same manner. Kind of like those are the two. That's what I thought at first too. But then when she's talking to Widmore, she's saying that we have a common enemy in Ben, and they want to go after Ben. So it was just, yeah. she was trying to team up with Widmore. And there's so. no way that Sun could have known about the dead man trigger on Kimi and then Ben kills Kimi. So, you know, yeah, it's It's how would she really? Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking Jack. All right. I Mm -hmm. think it was Jack as well. Yeah. But she should, she should be mad at Widmore because it was his freighter. Mm -hmm. Yes. So that, and I believe there's a clip at some point that I've either inserted or I'll insert it momentarily where Wayne questions that as well. Okay. Jake, anything interesting from Lostpedia, or did I steal all your notes during the episode? You stole all my thunder, and <laughs> I, I I can't even call myself Mr. Lostpedia anymore, pretty much. <laughs> uh, well, if we don't have anything else, why don't you guys uh, hit them with like social media or anything else that you want to plug where they can find you all? So that they can tell you your opinions. Maybe they could tell you that you th- that they think the constant is better than this, or maybe they can agree with you that the constant isn't as good, or anything else. Try me. My social media: uh, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat at Jake LCE. Facebook: Jacob Woken. I am friends with everybody you've heard on the podcast today, so you can find me through that. Uh, Bill Cover, and I'm the same on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, I don't do Snapchat. <laughs> and uh, Steve Peterson, as you may have heard before uh, earlier, I know a lot about the filming locations. It's a hobby I do. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Hollywood underscore IRL. Um, as Facebook, I'm just Steve Peterson. And, of course, I will get things for anybody who did pre-recorded things that I will get them to put their social media in now. Okay, you can follow me, Lost Wayne, uh, at my Twitter handle, which is Celebok, and that's C-E-L-E-B-O-K. 
I tweet several times a week uh, about Lost. You know, whether it's a whether it's a quote from the show or just random Lost related thoughts. So yeah. And as always, at Clock Shelves on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That's C L O C K S H E L V E S. Thank you guys so much for joining me. Thank you, Steve, for being on the show. You have an open invitation for any episode in the future. Awesome. And, guys, it was great talking. It was. I'm so glad we got to have so many different people on here. But for now, I will end with the traditional thank you, namaste, and good luck. Hey, this is Jorge. Thanks for listening to Lost with Friends. Back at the beach, Faraday and Daniel uh, talk about... um, Wait. Faraday and Daniel, that's not right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't remember now.